episode 130 the fast and the furious tokyo drift lap 7 i'm joey lewandowski i'm joe too and this episode is brought to you by tokyo-memories.com at tokyo memories they pride themselves on curating the best private and off the beaten path food drink and walking tours their goal is to give you unforgettable experiences of your trip to japan and leave you with fantastic memories of the sights tastes people and places that make tokyo great Shout out to TokyoMemories.com. Shout out TokyoMemories.com. And I just realized, and I know, I, like I've thought about this before, but because the way we record, we do the second half first. So that's the first time I hear the sponsor. So like my initial reaction is in the back half. Yes. But like this is the first time I'm actually hearing the sponsor. So like none of my responses really match up. So I'm going to say to you, dear listener, uh, wait till the back half to hear my <laughs> witty response. Not really witty. Uh, more just like, a, oh, okay, cool. But yeah, it's, it's a weird thing. But Joe, extracurricular activities appropriate because we're talking about Tokyo Drift and that's where the phrase came from. What have you been up to since we last recorded? There was a show that you, you got frustrated at yourself that you did not mention. Yeah, I forget what it was already. You know what I have been watching that's pretty good? I mentioned before and Wes wrote back in about it. Um, I watched the Jack Whitehall stand-up, right? You know, he has a new show on Netflix, Travels with His Dad, that I think somebody this else is, wrote in about, too. This is what I was going to say. I started watching cool. Travels with My Father, and it is hilarious. Rachel and I really like it. It's really, really cute. I think you would like it, too, Joey. Not that it was like skip anything of importance to watch immediately but it's just like him and his dad and the premise is like he wants to take his dad on a vacation and he wants it to be like a bros gap year trip and his dad's like this old proper englishman the very very first thing like he's like come on dad here we're gonna stay in this hostel and his dad walks in and just goes nope and just like walks out (laughs) and just like goes and gets like a really nice hotel room at like a really nice hotel and it's like yes this is what we're doing you know he's a comedian so he obviously cracks jokes and his dad's actually pretty funny it's all about like how he was sent to boarding school like really early so he like acts like his dad doesn't love him and stuff and like this is like their first time hanging out pretty much and it's cute it's fun and that's on netflix right because yeah did that is this so there's like a new season that just came out or something just came to netflix but i think either it had already aired and it was coming to netflix or this is a new season is there or is this the first like is this the beginning of it no there's like four seasons of it but it's really like i think the first season's like six episodes of like 45 minutes each and then there's like a couple seasons with like two or three episodes so it's not like you know 20 episodes yeah it's still fun rachel and i really enjoy it so we were like hanging out watching that it gives you there's a lot of good jokes in it so anything else of note any food adventures not adventures but you know new recipes or anything no we've just been cooking normal stuff it's all been good though been eating good good still well my two updates and you know both of these already but my ongoing sagas fantasy baseball first two days left by the time this comes out the the season will be over i don't know how it's gonna go basically right now it's a coin flip if i have a better weekend than my opponent i win if he has a better weekend, he wins. That's wow. it. Like, it's a 14-day matchup down to basically two days. The way that I thought I was going to win is not how I would probably win now, but I have another... It's so close. It's so tight. Yeah, it's... I'm, I'm not stressing over it because I'm just not paying attention. I'm just like, yeah, whatever. And then, yeah. you know, last night I was watching because I have a bunch of guys on the Angels and I had a pitcher on the Dodgers and I have like best player on the Dodgers too. So they were playing each other and I was watching last night. I'm like, this is... 
I shouldn't be watching this. Yeah. Um, and, and by the time I put it on, all my guys were not getting hits anymore, and my pitcher got taken out. So I was like, oh, I really shouldn't be watching this. But yeah. Because the more important thing, the reason I'm not stressing over it is because I'm continuing to play Spelunky. And in big news, I beat the game not the real way, yeah, but just like the two basic... Ways. Yes. In the first game, there was a way to beat the game, and then there was a real way to beat the game. And I was saying to you that I beat the game that... It's, again, not the easy way. The easy way, that's underselling the difficulty of this. Yeah. The real way, I was saying to you, I'm like, there's like eight... I'm like, oh my god, there's like 18 steps. And you, understandably, were like, is, is that a lot? And I was like, well, I haven't been to like 12 of the places that they refer to. Yes, so then that like makes a, sense. <laughs> yeah, there's like an order of operations where essentially the first like six or seven of them is getting to the final, like the regular boss. Seemingly, spoilers maybe for Splunky too, so Dan, if you want to skip ahead 30 seconds, you like fly above with like a, a creature that I don't have yet that I have to find. You fly above the boss into like an upper echelon and then play another three levels with like crazy things in between. So Wow, okay. I'm following a guide now because I... I beat the boss without looking up how to beat the boss, the first one. Okay. Yeah, now I'm just like, I, I would never, I would never know. I would never know. That's going to be the, the next goal. I don't know when this is going to, it's, it seems wildly difficult. And I was saying to you that the tagline on the Polygon.com article says, uh, this might be the hardest thing you ever do, which is probably a little bit of an exaggeration, a little bit of a joke, but also maybe not, because it's, the game is wildly difficult, as I've been talking about, yeah. but also, it's so involved. It's so involved. That's awesome, though. It sounds fun. You're still enjoying it. That's good. Game costs twenty bucks, and I I don't want to think about how many hours I put in. You know, it's been it's been out for like eleven days. You and sent I've me the played. you sent me your like screenshot of like you know played six hundred oh, yeah. sessions. Oh yeah, that's actually good. One, I can probably do the math that way. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was like, oh god, that's really terrifying. Seven hundred eighty-one plays. That includes some restarts. Five hundred and six deaths. One win. And yeah, that's, that's not insane. even the real win. Yeah. And the average time is three and a half minutes. So if you do 3.5 times 781 divided by 60, 45 hours, that seems, mm, maybe that's too high. Hold on. What if I do it by times 506? 30 hours. Yeah, I would say 30 hours. I can average three hours a day. Yeah, it's a... Uh, it's a lot. That's cool, though. I, it's too early to say, but this might be my favorite game of all time. I mean, Spelunky 1 might have been my favorite game of all time, so this is better, right? So, I don't Cool. Know. That's fun. Wild, but yes. Uh, so if you have a PS4 and you want a very difficult but fun game... Is it only on PS4? PS4 is coming to Steam maybe this week. Okay, cool. So maybe today, as this episode comes out, it might be on Steam now, too, on PC. So, yeah. Um, that's it. Anything else of note in the last couple of days? Because, yeah. again, this this Wednesday to Saturday recording is there's a tighter window for anything to happen. But Nope, nope. It's t- totally fine. Just moving along. Cool. We have a Patreon page here on the show, too fast 2 forevercom if you want to support the show get some swag and merchandise shout out to those who do cassie wilson jake freer ben milliman nick burris alex eldenin justin kleinman brian rodriguez of high school slumber party Haley gerbys west hampton christian larson jerry robinson and dan the duke hayden thank you thank you all so much for supporting us the five dollar level or above truly appreciate it yeah it's appreciated thank you we also have an email address here on the show family at cageclub.me and joe we got two emails today first up you're gonna know who it's from based on the subject line alone these are all comments from things you talked about, so once again, please excuse the randomness of this here email from, of course, <laughs> Wells Lamont. I'm glad Wells wrote in, and I can't wait to hear it because, like, even the onboard direct emails usually wander a bit. So, I'm, I'm, let me get, let me breathe in. Okay, I think I'm ready. I want, I also want you to get centered because this first thing is a little bit of a flashback to a slight PTSD moment for you. Okay. Glad that I think so long ago that I forgot this happened. I'm sure you didn't forget this happened, but like what? every day feels like a week. But glad that dildo got arrested. I'm happy to hear that who cheap shotted 
Joe's Pops. I hope he gets his fruit cocktail taken in Gen Pop. <laughs> when was that? Was that July? Was that June? Was that August? When was, it was that? It was June. It was, um, or no, no, no. The It was 4th of July. It was 4th of July weekend. Okay. Is okay. when it happened. But yeah, he, he got arrested and um, my dad went to like the hearing and saw, you know, because of COVID, he saw like on the screen, like the guy get processed and he's in jail and probably will be in jail for a pretty long time, hopefully. I think he has like other charges. Obviously, this guy like wasn't in a right, right. right state of mind or something. So yeah, so he's uh, done for. So thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, we're moving along. Dad's doing good. He seems happy and healthy. And so everything's good. He's, he's like feeling better, all healed up from that, it, which is not a very long time ago, right? Two and a half months. I mean, it's, it's a while. Yeah, I mean, it's especially a while. when every every week feels like a month. <laughs> Very true. But yeah, so anyways, he, he he says he feels good and he doesn't have like any lingering weirdness. Like his knee is a little sore or something, but he's old, so cool. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Well says, I'll def send pics of my dog when I finally get it. Please. Please. I had this written weeks ago, and the day I was about to go get Boza, the guy almost doubled the price. Said he got more offers. I told him to fuck off. I wanted to throat punch him in jejunum. In the jejunum. <laughs> Um, that's shitty. I hate that. This is like this new age hype beast raise the price at the last minute thing. Like, if you agreed to a price, you agreed to a price. Go get the fucking dog, right? Like, yeah. Well, so, I mean, the reverse happens too, that, you know, when you have something, when you're selling something on Craigslist and then like, okay, cool, come pick it up. And then they come over like, oh yeah, you said 80, I only have 60 cash. It's like, well, no, well, then leave. Like, that's not... Bye. Yeah. I mean, like, you could, like, negotiate before. Like, is the price negotiable? Like, when I get there, can I talk to you about it? You know, at least give me a heads up. Don't just, like, show up with 60 bucks cash and be like, this is what I'm going to pay for it. Be like, no, fuck off. Have I told I told the story, I think, yeah. in here about that guy that bought the furniture from me when I was moving out of my apartment? Yes, you did. You did. Yeah, that I wasn't too patient when he showed up four hours late. I'm like, no, guy, like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, just get this out of my house. Okay. <laughs> well, says, so anyway, he was a six-week-old chocolate lab. He was the cutest puppy, and I'm still upset about it. I'm still looking, but I'm not sure what I want now. Sigh. Well, I will tell you that when we get to the deleted scenes for Tokyo Drift this episode, my uncle says... There's not just the one. Don't get too hung up on one. No, yeah, there's way more than one chocolate lab out in the world. That puppy is cute, but it's not the puppy for you. You're going to get maybe a cute puppy. Yeah, maybe it's not. Unless that puppy's Neela, in which case, go get that puppy. But, you know. But even in the end, you know, Neela and DK, we'll get to it. Amazing interview with the game director of the Fast game. I really enjoyed it. Great questions. And he was insightful. Y'all did a really good job. That's the stuff I like. Thank you. He made me want to go buy this game, not for 60, but maybe 30, LOL. Well, I will say that every Black Friday, every game from that year is usually 35 or 30 or 25 or 20. So if you can wait another two months, which I would imagine you probably can, pick it up on sale then. It was a fun, it was a fun time. And like you, you heard the story about the game and stuff like that. It was enjoyable and, and why we liked it and we explained it. And um, yeah, if you want to wait for the price to come down, I think it's still worth the play. It was fun yeah. if you're a Fast and the Furious fan, for sure. If one more buff dude gets brought into the Fast family, I'm just going to assume Lynn has a type. Ooh. Ooh. That's a hot take. I like that. But, I mean, they've been adding buff dudes forever, you yeah. know? Joe's Pizza Hut story is essentially me with Mountain Mike's. Don't know Mountain Mike's. I prefer good pizza, but nostalgically speaking, Mountain Mike's is my go-to. It's got weird crust, weird sauce, but the Ronies are good. And it was always the spot in middle and high school. What is... I gotta look up Mountain Mike's real quick. My guess is that it's a Bay Area chain. Yeah. I can imagine a uh, a strip mall with a Rasputin and a Mountain Mike's. Mm. It just looks like pizza. You can buy a franchise if you want. Mountain Mike's. I want to see... Where, if I type in my zip code, like, where's the nearest Mountain Mike's? No Probably locations not found. Here. None. Okay. <laughs> Just cool. absolutely none. It says West Coast 
pizza chain. Yeah, Northern California. Gotcha. He says Giselle's in some new movie called Wonder Woman '84. He says WW '84, but I'm assuming he knows. I don't know if this is a joke. I'm assuming it's a joke. <laughs> Wonder Woman '84. I'm a catch it at the drive-in. I'll let you know how it is. Well, it just got delayed to question marks. So yeah, damn. Even the drive-in though, you're gonna have to wait. That sucks. Mulan supposedly made all this money. Like it made 250 million dollars, and people were all excited about that. And then someone was like, "Oh, we did the math wrong. It made 60 to 90 instead." What? No. What? It didn't it come Which, out on like, Disney Plus? Yeah. So they thought that on Disney Plus it made $251 million, but instead it was somewhere in the 60 to $90 million range. Someone did the math wrong and reported it. <laughs> how do you get that? How is it not like $21 million or $210 million? Well, so that's so it reminds me of a joke that Lewis Black told. I think it's Lewis Black, where he was said he was going to Minnesota. It was supposed to snow 6 to 12 inches, I think, and it snowed 36 inches. So, like, conservatively, you're off by two feet. He's like, if you if you were a roofer and you built a roof that was off two feet, you'd be in prison. Like, how can a meteorologist be that far off? But I'm thinking here, like, that's conservatively 200% off. Yes. That it's from 90 yeah. to, like, 250 is, you know, it's triple, right? So it's 200% yeah. different. Or, at worst, it's 300% off. Like, you're not even in the ballpark. Like, you're around, like, a decimal in the wrong place classic office space situation yep. like maybe but also if it's like oh it wasn't 250 it was actually like 200 like we backed whatever but no you're not even nothing like nothing about that Makes number sense. is even remotely close no and it doesn't make any sense either you're like oh yeah i forgot to carry the three and it's like no you did like this none of this math makes sense so. right yeah so i'm enjoying binging all these episodes i now know that i'll never get tired of this podcast oh and i'm here to the day we all die at the same time on the same breath in fastiverse style well what is- whoa that- <laughs> What if like Fast Ten ends and like everyone gets killed? No, we get we get like snapped like Thanos, like all the fans. Well, I'm not saying us. I'm just, I'm just saying now in the in the movie, like they're like, okay, we're done at ten. It's like they all have to be on a rocket ship that has to like basic. It's kind of an Armageddon thing. I don't oh. remember exactly. Like, don't they have to like ride a rocket into the sun or something? Yeah. Like, what if that's just like you know? I said we were done at ten, but then you know, there's <laughs> obviously movies in between and stuff. But like, I don't know. Yeah, just like. <laughs> Vin, just like all the core characters that are men so that they can't have the Letty-driven spinoff, they just all fly right into the sun. Roman, Tej, just everybody left, just right in. <laughs> that would be good. I was thinking he was talking about like us, like in the theaters. Ten ends, and just, we just vanish. Our purpose, well no, I think, I was gonna say our purpose is fulfilled, but I think we've established our purpose now so we have to talk about it so like we finish recording you disappear but i don't know you disappear like you're just like oh you just went mia i edit and schedule the podcast and as soon as i click upload and schedule <laughs> poof it uploads our souls just straight yeah. through well actually fastiverse style would be a crazy explosion or getting run over with a huge safe either way pod bros for life poor vida for life poor vida yeah I'll be writing in more now, so I'll be blessing the podcast with my random and weird thoughts that no one asked for. Still about four episodes behind, but it's better than like the 10 plus where I used to be at. Yeah. Okay, you... brosives. Until next time, I'll catch you in the Capadres. On the other side, peace emoji. Thank you, Wells, for writing in, brother. And it's good to hear from you, but I mean, I knew you were alive. I see. I'd like to respond to all of Wells' sports takes and stuff. So just knowing that he's out there and he's doing okay is good. So, but thanks yeah. for writing, and I appreciate the emails, brother, and I look forward to more of them, definitely. Yeah, I hope you're also not a couple games behind on the Niners, because uh, you are not going to like the injury <laughs> situation. <laughs>
up in San Francisco. <laughs> on Coward this week, they were like, these are the injuries in the NFL. And then, and it was like, you know, like six big dudes that were like out. And then it was like, these are the injuries on the Niners. It was like six big Niners out. Like they had like, they had to have two panels for it. And I was like, Oof. oh God, this is so yeah. horrible, bud. Second and final email from Jenny McMullen, subject line, answers to DVD email. Oh, cool. Remember about her DVD contest. Yes, so we were asking because she wanted on the radio. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Hi, guys. Sitting in the parking lot to write this one. Another classic, Jenny. Just, oh, she says over here, just just after hearing my emails read, I love that this is, quote, a classic move, and Joe is like, hey, lady. <laughs> you know, nobody writes more emails from their car, as far as I know, than you, so it is a classic move. It is a classic. I guess Nick writes some from his truck, but he's, like, in his truck to work, you know, so. But he's also not saying, like, I'm in my truck. Like, Jenny is saying, which I love, like, oh, no, I, I pulled over. Like, I was listening. I pulled over to, like, explicitly. It's very there. responsible. So, yeah. It's it's great. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. She said, this is probably TMI, but it's a little claim to claim for me. So here's the explanation. The radio contest was on a national morning show called The Mark and Brian Show. I listened to every day at work. It was based in L.A. Okay. And a trivia show called I Want to Crack at That. One weekday morning, I didn't have to be at work till later, so I was able to call in. I made it through. It was a five-day contest as long as you kept winning. I had to get permission to call from work the next four days. Whoa. Wow, okay. The whole okay. office was listening. There are ten random trivia questions each day, unless you got six right and one. I beat five different guys. Damn, okay. Damn, good job, lady. The prizes got better each day. Day one, Cheesy Trinket with a radio logo. Day two, a couple CDs. She says one was by traffic, question mark. Day three, DVDs. Day four, laptop bag with radio logo embroidered on it. Day five, visit to the studio to see them doing the radio show live Ooh. and entry into the Tournament of Champions with the most recent other five-day winners. The tournament prize was a brand new Toyota Yaris. Ooh. Ooh. Did I think I've said on here before... I know Toyota Yaris because there was a there was a free Xbox 360 game that called out that like that came out when called the Yaris Toyota was released. Yaris? Yeah, and the game was so bad that me and my all my friends at the time were like, "This is awful. What is this?" No, I don't know if the Yaris is a good car or not, but I know that the game is terrible, so I'm assuming the car is terrible too. But <laughs> she says I never got to visit since they were so far away, but I got to the semifinals of the tournament. The questions were much harder. The guy who barely beat me to nothing lost in the final. I didn't know any of those answers either, but it was still cool getting that close. It was awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. She says, I also won plenty of local radio prizes back then. The local DJs knew my voice. Hey, Jenny, you're caller nine. Good times while it lasted. That's awesome. Lots of fun. I had a neighbor. I had a neighbor when I was a kid, and she would call and win concert tickets all the time. She was like almost as if she was like a ticket scalper. I remember my dad would be like, hey, I want to go to this concert. And she'd be like, okay, got you. And then like call in and win the tickets from the radio, and she would just give them to him, and he would buy them that's super cool i remember and i don't know if this actually was the case but it reminds me and it's a simpler time before the internet when you wanted to buy sports tickets or concert tickets or whatever you had to call Ticketmaster or even your local place or whatever yeah they couldn't sell until say 10 a.m but like you call it like 9 50 a.m and you would talk to them about like, oh yeah, like you know, you want to go to the Steelers game or whatever. Be like, oh yeah, you know, like uh, Kanye's in town. Let me. Or, no, I, mean, I guess it wouldn't. Have, it can't be something popular. It has to be something that like whatever. Like, oh yeah, they're in town. Like, let me buy tickets. I'm gonna call at nine fifty. I'm gonna call in whatever. And oh, by the way, it's ten o'clock. Can I get those Steelers tickets too? So like, you sort of like yes. bide your time, and so you're on the line. I'm sure that worked at one point, but now it's just like Ticketmaster or PlayStation. You know, whatever. Yes. Just slammed with just. Everybody's trying Server to get at the same wrecked. time. So, yeah, yep. awful. About the old sign-off, I always wondered if it meant something and I was missing out on the joke. Glad you explained it. You guys really are like family as much as I've listened to you and you're entertaining too. So I look forward to each episode. I can almost hear Joe saying, oh, that's so sweet. It later, is. Jenny. 
It is very sweet. I appreciate it. See, like, we got two very heartwarming emails today. And they almost could not be more opposite in content or tone. But yes, both, <laughs> both heartwarming. Very true. The sentiment was real in both, though. I can never imagine in a normal... And this is not to criticize or, or anything about either, but I can't see in, a, in any other situation someone like Jenny and someone like Wells ever being friends, but, like, I know that they would be because Coming of the shared, together. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, yeah. We're going to have a lit-ass party on 1327. That's all I'm Oof, saying. Boy. And that's all the emails for today. If you want to email in family at cageclub.me. Also, if you want to leave us a review. So I was looking at our download breakdown. The most popular platform to listen to us on is Spotify, which there's no way to review. But the second most is Apple Podcasts. So if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts and you have not left us a review yet, even if you want to write a review, if you want to just give a five-star rating, we'd appreciate it, please. Yeah, and please. Thank you. Joe, on the streets, news about the Fast and Furious. Oh. There is one big, big bit of news. Big, big bit of news. And I can tell you that if you feel like I do, this has been a good week. (laughs) I'm feeling blessed, to be honest. Vin Diesel, if you have not heard yet, and I'm sure you have because the internet blew up on Friday when this dropped. Like everyone. music release day. Everyone saw it. Vin Diesel put out a club song called Feel Like I Do. Chris Podcast, past guest, friend of the show, messaged me and said he wants to talk about it and then said some negative things. I was like, no, in this house. He's like, I want to be on the show for 10 minutes to talk about it. It sounds like a blah, 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 blah. And I was like, no, in this house, we respect Vin Diesel. And he says, that sounds like something you would say before you heard the song. I don't want to have Chris on here because Chris already like blew up Tokyo Drift in a way that like Nigo and Kevo were much more fair in their criticisms. Chris was just like, I think Chris is always fair. He's just, he, he's just, he just a negative everything. Nancy. He's a hater. Yeah. It's okay. He does that about a lot of things. It's not like he just hates Tokyo Drift or just hates Vin. D- like he hates everything. No, he hates everything. Yeah. Exactly. So it's fair. Here's here's how I have to frame it. They did an entire episode of Now and Again, Chris and Nico about vanity projects from actors and other people who became musicians, right? And I think in that regard, I think this is a pretty good song. I think for somebody who is not a musician, I mean, you know, he he loves music. You know he loves music if you watch that nine-minute video that my sister and I, like, when that came out in, like, 2013 or whatever, we watched it so many times. It's just him dancing to Drunken Love and Dark Horse while he's talking about how happy he is that people want to see his most recent movie. Plus, he was in that um, breakdancing music video, remember? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he came up as a breakdancer, yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, he's been around it for a while. But I think in the scope of actor releasing a song who just wants to dabble in music, I think in that regard, it's pretty good. I also don't think that he's, like, trying to be a musician. That's a difference here. He's yeah. like, I made a song because I wanted to make a song, not like, I'm, I'm now a musician, I'm stopping doing movies, this is my focus. It feels yeah. like he's yeah. like, I just made a song. And if you like it, cool. He's not like pitching an album now. And if he does, cool. But it that doesn't seem like this is his main thing. He just seemed like he wanted to do it. He was feeling happy. He's feeling blessed. So he made a song. He feels so happy. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind it. I mean, I, I listened to it once and I was like, okay, yeah, pretty good. It actually reminds Same. me on that episode of someone we're going to talk about a little bit later this episode. But Paris Hilton has a song called Stars Are Blind, which, again, not a great song, but I actually kind of like it. I mean, I kind of like it just in general, but especially for another vanity project, like, yeah, absolutely. Paris Hilton ones I, I have a little bit more of a gripe with because she was, like, being a celebrity in every possible direction she could be in. And this was yeah. made so that she could continue her celebrity. Although now I think she's, like, primarily a DJ. Like, she's probably, you know, just, like, a pay some pay her a lot of money to be like, oh, Paris Hilton's DJing our club tonight. I That's mean, not exactly now, what she like, did. Yeah, she had, like, yeah. a she had a residency in Vegas at some point, which is appalling that there's real djs out there and they're paying paris hilton to DJ. yeah but i mean it's, it's just it's all business i remember yeah i was talking to a dj at a it was at a different trade show it wasn't ces 
because he had like all these notes and he's like oh like you know i just i just came off this like i remember it was like a sweet 16 or whatever but like he had all these notes like don't play the song reminds me of my ex or like he like all these experts like do not play the song you're gonna ruin the day if you play the song and we talked about like paris hilton and i think he was like it's not as big of a joke as people might think like she's taking she takes it seriously i mean she might not she's be as good as whatever yeah. but like it's not you shouldn't just like shit on her just because it's whatever but like yeah i don't know yeah i get it any other news of note in the fast and furious world no in the last that was days? it that just eclipsed our whole world for like the past two days or whatever so the only thing to do because this is a main installment tokyo drift we are not doing the ana lucia cortez leticia ortiz lost for a minute we're not doing a fast and furious minute but we are talking about the deleted scenes and boy Oof. oh boy there are a lot of them there's a whole fucking bunch of them some good some bad but there's there's just a lot there are 18 minutes i think there's like 10 or 11 or 12 scenes and not only are there 18 minutes, but like the first movie, there's director's commentary, which did you listen to that? Did you find that or not yet? I was using the YouTube ones. So some of them had the director's commentary. I listened to like the beginning of it and I was like, I don't want to rewatch the scene with the director's commentary. And I like how you explained it last time. And I would like to continue that. Sorry if that's okay with you. Cool. No, that's totally fine. That's totally, I, wanted, I wanted to sort of set a groundwork okay. for myself of like, no, I didn't hear them. I like from. specifically didn't hear them. They're all, I think they're all available. You, you found all the scenes on YouTube, right? But they're just the commentary, whatever. There's some of it, but not all of it. Well, sometimes somebody that ripped it on YouTube would like play the scene and then play it again back to back with the commentary over it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It was a nice move, but it was only available for some of them. I mean, granted, I didn't like dig very hard for the commentary available ones. I was just trying to match up all the scenes and I got that. So the big takeaway from these deleted scenes, so it's 18 minutes out of a hundred minute movie that are taken away. So like it's a, it's a sizable, significant chunk. It is. And I watched them all three times. I watched it by itself and then with the commentary and then I watched them again. The big takeaway for me is that we lose so much of Earl and Keiko, Leonardo Nam's character, oh god, what's his name? Morimoto. Yep. We lose some of DK. Yep. Like, it feels, Bow Wow, we lose some of Twinkie too. Like, all the Sean stuff that we would have got. I mean, there's some Sean deleted scenes, but that's all in the movie. It feels like everything else kind of simplified, which I understand Especially why. Especially Han's crew. Yeah, like you said, like you miss some Morimoto stuff, but that kind of involves Sean too. You miss some DK stuff, it kind of has Sean too. But like the scenes with like Twinkie and what were the other names? Sorry, you said it. So that it's it's Earl and it's Earl. Ray, uh, Keiko. Keiko. Ke- Earl and Keiko. K-E-I-K-O, yeah. Keiko's like pretty much not a character in this movie after this. What I was expecting to hear from Justin Lynn is that sometimes when you have a scene like this that you cut with these other characters that you then wind up cutting all the scenes with those characters because like without the one none of them really makes sense but that makes sense that's yeah not necessarily true and he never makes mention of that like that's not like a oh we had to cut this one because we cut the other one like that never comes up again so i was assuming i was expecting that to be the case but i don't know like oh if we get rid of uh keiko's like this scene, then why is she angry in the next scene? So like we can't have that either. So right. this has to go as well. So the first scene is called Cabby Wants Yen. And this is when a white gloved cab driver, which you were in Tokyo, do all the cab drivers wear like are they like limo service or is this unusual? No, no, no. They all wear white gloves. It's like part of the uniform. They're like very into uniform stuffs, you know, like as you see with like the school uniforms and stuff. But yeah, the cab drivers wear white gloves. Didn't I ever tell you like my goofy cab driver story about like we overpaid him and he chased us down to give us a nickel back? No, that's cool. I like that. You don't tip in the cab either. You just like pay the price. It was like, you know, like 1995. And so we just, like, threw him a 20 and, like, hopped out of the cab. And, like, we're walking down the street going to, like, find, like, a place to grab a beer. And, like, somebody comes up and, like, taps me on the shoulder. And I'm like, who the fuck is this? It was the cabbie. And he's like, here's your nickel. Like, you didn't get your change. I was like, 
bro, you, that was for you. Just keep it. Like, I knew I wasn't supposed to tip you, but, like, the five cents after, like, that's how honorable and cool it was. Yeah. I mean, it turns out that if you can't afford your cab fare, they will accept guitars in exchange because, Apparently. Sean, all I got's U.S., and so this is the scene where he's getting dropped off before. So we don't get satisfaction. We talk about in the back no, half about like the one thing we want, but we don't get that. But we get the scene leading up to that scene. We do. And we kind of get a glimpse of something that plays into this. And it's the fact that Sean arrives in Tokyo with only U.S. dollars, which means his mother did not prepare him at all. Look, he, she could be like, she could drop him off at the airport and be like, look, go to the currency counter, swap out, like, get yen. Yeah. But so. he doesn't. For some for some reason, Sean shows up and doesn't even have. I mean, again, that's the whole thing that we were always talking about: Sean's dad versus Sean's mom. Sean's mom. Then we finally realized, oh wait, no, Sean's a fuck up too. Like the, the yeah, simple answer is that Sean is wrong. Yeah, <laughs> there's that's a very very good point. Yes, Sean could have just been like, I'll get away without it, and like American dollars are great. And I just I made a note that Sean's dad really owes him. That not only did he leave him at the airport, but then Sean lost his guitar. And so Justin Lin was talking about how like you see him show up with the guitar, like, he gets whatever, he, like, arrives in Tokyo with the guitar, all of a sudden he seemingly doesn't have a guitar, and that's what happened to the guitar. It's not that like there was a continuity error, they cut this out, and they said that he was, they cut this for pacing purposes, ultimately this slowed the movie down, it became a double beat, he said, with a teacher on the first day of school just sort of showing Sean as fish out of water. Makes also, sense. Did, like, a lot of these were fun scenes, and I'm glad we saw them, but a lot of them did feel, and I think because they weren't fully done, like, there weren't, there wasn't score or music in a agreed. lot of these, but, like, it felt yep. slow. Like, this felt slow in a movie that uh, otherwise is pretty quick. isn't slow. I agree with all those points. The other thing that I noticed is that the cab was $200. Like, his cab fare was, like, $198. I know cabs are expensive in Japan, and we didn't take them too much, because, like, the train is so ubiquitous and cheap. But, like, holy fuck. Like, no wonder why you didn't have $200 cash, you know? Anything, uh, any other thoughts about Cabby Wants Yen, other than just the astronomical price of the cab fare? It makes sense why they cut it, right? Like, it doesn't... This one didn't bother me one way or the other. Glad we got it. It was a cute scene, but not a big deal. Totally fine. Cut it. So the next scene is called Crowded Subway. And this is kind of like a longer extended scene of Sean getting to school set to the song The Barracuda. And this is kind of a cool scene because we get some Neela, we get some Morimoto. This is the first introduction, the interaction between them. Yeah, this one I feel like should have stayed in the movie because it kind of explains, like, we never really get why Sean's running late. Like, they have, like, the alarm clock go off. And I wonder if they added that scene after because it shows you, like, why Sean's late to school. Right, because Neela takes his bag to kind of prevent a fight between him and Morimoto. She takes his messenger bag throws it on a subway that's going the opposite way seemingly yes, yes. and makes him jump on a car. Like it almost looks like for a second that she's going to throw the bag on there. And if he doesn't react as quick as he does, his stuff is just gone, but he's able to jump on there and, you know, shows up late to school. Oh, Wabaki. Yes, exactly. That one was cool. And, and you get the first interaction between him and Neela. And it also explains why, like when he shows up late to school, she like looks up and kind of smiles at him. Like, oh, sorry, I threw your bag on the train. But also, I was kind of protecting you. Yes. So it establishes that, and I'm sad that we didn't get that part of it either. Yeah, he walks up to a group of girls featuring Neela and says something in terribly broken Japanese. He says, "Uh, I tried. And he says, how about English now? And Morimoto comes up and says, I speak English. And then (laughs) they have a pissing match. And that's what Justin Lin says, too, that it was difficult to cut. He liked it, but it slowed down the movie. It's hard to cut out Leonardo Nam's intro, the guy who plays Morimoto, but it became redundant, even though it's fun. And then he just made a note of Leo saying, I can't, at one point. And then he said, Leo tore it up 
he's a great guy. But this is like, I feel like Morimoto kind of gets, like, we have the fight on the roof in the movie that gets stay, that stays in there, but he, yeah. he kind of doesn't have the flair of, like, a cool sidekick that he would otherwise with, with, with some of these scenes, scenes in the movie. Yeah. I agree. There is the line, there's the, con- there's the back and forth where Sean says, I wasn't talking to you, friend. Morimoto says, I have enough friends. And I was yeah. thinking, I don't have friends. I got family. I family. Or... That makes, like, a pool party reference, like, a pool party joke. I'm like, that feels... Like, just kind of, like, dumb American, like, I don't know, right? Yes, so, I, I think that's the point of it, but also kind of would have flopped there, so, like, why? The next scene is a showcase for Bow Wow called Where's My Fizz? And this is seemingly right before... This is interesting. This was a very interesting one. And I don't know if you noticed, but this and the next one, which is at the garage, they show up... So a lot of this we were saying before, a lot of these scenes have a lot more of Earl and Keiko. Yep. And... If you see in the next scene, and from this scene, like, they're going from this convenience store to the drift garage. Yep. In the back seat, Earl and Keiko are there, and so they actually CGI'd out of the movie, I think. Yes. They said he turned him into a purple chair. So, like, in the back seat, when he shows up, and we talk about in this episode, like, here's your, you know, here's some tissues for when you blow your wad. Yeah, he totally just got rid of them from the movie right there. Bow Wow shows up to the gas station, ceiling pumps, or... Gas pumps from the ceiling. Interesting. Never noticed that before. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Like, have you? You never saw that before, though. I, I mean, I wasn't in a car, right? Like, oh, I, true. I, yeah. I would never have to fill up a car. I was like, I had a, you know, like we rode the train. I was in a cab maybe like once or twice when I was there. A bus a okay. couple times. So like, never like there was gas stations around, but I guess I never paid attention to be like, does the gas come? Because like I'm not filling up the car, so it doesn't fucking matter. And so he like takes a sip of a soda. And then, like, spits it out, and it's like, where the fuck is my... Well, he explains who the Hulk is to Sean first, because why? Well, he's like, because no, cause Sean says, why the Hulk? Like, basically, yeah. why why pick him? So I guess he's like, I don't know if this guy knows the Hulk or not. So like, I kind of get that, you know, keeping in mind that if they left this scene in the movie, it might not be verbatim. Like, they might have cut down on that a little bit, too. But yeah, it's a little bit of background of, like, oh, just like Bruce Banner, I'm blah, 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 blah. So then he's like, okay, he spits out the drink, he makes... Paris Hilton flat-chested joke? Yeah, because he's drinking the fizz. He's like, look at the fizz. This shit's flatter than Paris Hilton. And I'm like, interesting play. Especially, we were just talking about Paris Hilton in the intro, too. Weird. Well, that's, yeah, that's, why, that's mostly why I had her on my I mean, I was also, I thought about Stars Are Blind yesterday with when I listened to the Vin Diesel song, but I was also thinking, yeah, knowing that he makes a flat-chested joke, but it's just also, it feels like kind of in bad taste in a way, but I mean. There's a few There's a few jokes in these deleted scenes that got cut out, and I'm like, hmm, good, good, like, good yeah. call. Like, <laughs> Especially since in the in the back half of this, we're going to talk about how time has not aged this movie well in certain ways. That, yes. again, like, not only dating it to, like, Paris Hilton's on everybody's mind, but it's also, like, you don't have to take a cheap shot at Paris Hilton. Like, she's already getting enough. I don't know. I'm glad we've moved to a point where, like, we just don't comment about people's bodies. That should just have been the norm forever, right? Like, hey, man, like, you, that's one thing you just, just leave it alone. Like, who the fuck cares? It's not your yeah. body. So. Yeah. So yes, that was interesting. But then, okay, so, but this whole thing is this is a ploy because they're running a scam for them to steal the tires from yes. the gas station. Yes. And there is a back and forth, and I wish, it feels a little disjointed, and I think because we're getting so much of them new at all, but it feels like Earl and Keiko kind of have a will-they-won't-they, and they make jokes in the later scene, which we'll talk about, but it feels like they're, they kind of like each other, but they're not admitting it, and they're both, he's especially around other girls, like, seeming like, you know, Han and everybody, but it seems like they... Are a couple. Yeah, but they're not. Like, it, it's close, but not, right? Yes, yeah. But yeah, like, I like them, you know, tricycle, like, because she's speaking Japanese, and he's speaking English back to her. Yeah. Because <laughs> I looked him up, he's a British... Hong Kong actor. So I don't know if he, you know, just of China, of Hong Kong descent, grew up in England because he speaks with a British accent. And she is, and, you know, he's been in a bunch of stuff. And she is 
almost exclusively in Japanese movies. Like, I was like, do I know her? And no. Like, she's most known for this because this is, like, the only kind of crossover mainstream. I mean, most known here. My Japanese teacher in Japan, like, language teacher, did, like, a study abroad in England. So there's actually, like, a lot of people in Japan that, like, go learn English in England, so they all have English accents, and it's really funny. I don't want this to sound racist, but, like, it sounds yes. funny, like, with him speaking, but, like, it makes, because if you grow, wherever you grow up, right, so... You get the accent of where you learned the language from, so... Right. so exactly, yeah. yeah, it's not, it's not funny in, like, a I'm laughing at it way, it's just, like, it's very interesting. Like, when you see it, you're like, oh, wow, like, your brain just stutters for a second, like, that's not what I was expecting, right? And what I also think is funny about this scene is that after they steal, like, because Sean knows what's going on, right, and he sees the tires getting stolen in the rear view he knows why why twinkie is making such a scene and then he's like you got cars to go with those tires and what i love like this is such a great line where bow wow twinkie just says you don't like to smell the roses do you like you gotta (laughs) you gotta take a breath like just we're we're good just chill for one fucking second there bud seriously um so justin lynn said he missed this scene but for pacing purposes had to get cut it's a fun scene for bow wow he wanted to make him seem fluent and bilingual. Apparently, there was the Japanese consultant on set, Michi, who was very impressed by Bow Wow's ability to learn the language so quickly. Uh, they filmed this. This is one of those things that they actually filmed in Tokyo. And Jessalyn was talking about how when they were filming, they had like noodle trucks driving around. And he said he, had, he got the best bowl of ramen he ever ate in his life from one of these noodle trucks just driving around Japan, which I thought was pretty funny. Oh, that's cool. That's a cool tidbit. He was also saying that this is Jason and Keiko. Or maybe her name is... Hold on. Because what's, what's confusing to me is because I don't know her name in... Because the movie cuts it out. Yes. But there is... Okay, her name... Her character name is Reiko. R-E-I-K-O. Okay. But her act... The actor's name is Keiko. K-E-I-K-O. Okay. So, like, they're the same in my brain. I never hear it or whatever. But, yes. So, he said it's Jason Tobin and Keiko Kitagawa. So, Earl and Reiko's intro. And then he sort of hints at the future. But the other thing of note, and I don't know if you caught this. I didn't know the song, but I think you'd be more more inclined to know the song. They play an MC Hammer song at the end when they pull away. And there's MC Hammer advertisements at the gas station. Oh, no, I didn't catch that. That's really cool. Just, like, a, an MC Hammer kind of theme here or whatever. I, so. saw, an MC, I saw MC Hammer's Toyo tires, like, advertisement yeah. and i thought that was really strange but i didn't catch that they also threw an mc hammer song in there that was that one but then that kind of bleeds right into the next scene which is called han dk and that Alden, one and that one ends like right as they would be pulling into the parking garage like our first yes. experience of the drifting right like that's yeah. what we're leading to and this is like an extended alternate scene because we see shots that we've seen you know like we said of them giving of, of twinkie giving sean the tissues of morimoto bending the girl over the over the the, the engine to kiss her or whatever yeah and it feels a little out of place like he's talking to han and dk from inside the car and it feels like they would have done things differently if they kept I the agree. like they're not they're just these are just like reaction shots they're just like okay, this looks like if you or i were like hey we're in the scene with han like we're just shooting the car and they're like oh yeah just han looking at you right it feels yeah incomplete or just off it does they, these feel like stand-in scenes like they were like oh we had these so we'll put them in there and they didn't have those parts of it like, they had pre-cut it after they, like, just shot this and didn't even fill in the gaps, right? They were like, okay, no, like, we're already not using this, so... Because they just use, like, the same intro that you get, like, as you're driving by, yep. and, like, he's, like, talking to Han and DK, and they just, like, are just standing there, like, not looking at them. Like, just barely looking at them, so it's, like, very, feels 
weird. We learn some information here that we get later in the movie. Like, we get that DK's uncle is the head of the Yakuza. Yeah, but we get that later. Twinkie says is like the Sopranos with real bullets, and then he calls Morimoto <laughs> a-hole number two, which I think is, all right, fine. Cool. But what yep. I thought the most interesting thing about this scene might have been, Sean's trying to figure out why he's calling him Egghead. He's like, oh, Egghead, I get it. White on the outside, yellow on the inside. Yes. Which is like a Twinkie reference of yes. yellow on the outside, white on the inside, even though that got cut. Like, it just, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. And he's like, no, he's he's just a bald guy. Look at his head. It looks like an egg. And I'm like, so we had to explicitly explain the slur. <laughs> like, very, very weird. Very, very Cause weird. Because it's the, it's the reverse of a Twinkie, but like, what yeah. is yellow on the inside? Like, I don't understand. Like, that's... Because he's talking about like a head, like a brain, right? Like, white on the outside, like it's kind of like a bald white head. But like, what does yellow on the inside mean? No, he's saying that he looks like a white guy, but is a slur for a Japanese person. Okay. That's so just, he's... Okay. Yeah, but, but like, either it's, way, it's like, weird that, like it's, it's weird that Sean goes like to Egghead, but it'll just be like the Egg guy, Eggman, right? Because like that's that would make more sense. But like to think that like it's that Sean is like, oh yeah, Egghead, I get it. Like, but that it's it feels like a little off. It does. It, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't track. I'm um, cut this whole fucking scene. Like, just, I mean that part of it. But then we get a cute Bow Wow does choreography dancing in the parking lot, which I thought was interesting that they had these people doing dance choreographies in the parking lot for God knows how long to shoot this scene that never made it in the movie. Yeah, this is called the para-para dance, apparently. And this whole scene was cut because they wanted to get to the race more quickly. Justin Lin said seeing Leonardo make out with a girl here means more, which I don't know that it does. Like, I kind of get it, but I also kind of what? don't. Whatever. Who's Leonardo? He's uh, Leonardo is Morimoto. But we see him, like, grab her ass in the other, in the normal version. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. He just said it, it means more with the context here. I don't know. I, I mean, Whatever. it's his movie, but I don't right. agree. The Power Power dance was a dance that Bow Wow did not want to do, but he, con- he you know, he convinced him to do. Bow Wow wound up having fun with it. What I, in- what I think is interesting, in the director's commentary, Justin Lin is calling him Bow but not like, what's his name, Shad Moss, right? Yeah. Not calling him Shad, he's just calling him Bao. I'm like, oh, okay, like, that's not really his name, but I guess it's, like, I guess that's just what he went by on set, right? So that's... Yeah, yeah, you know, your nickname can be anything, so it is interesting, though. That is very weird. I thought this was okay. Like, I think that this was, this felt unfinished in a way that the other ones didn't, and, like, the dancing scene, that just, this one is one of the easier ones where I was like, oh, yeah, like, I have no interest in keeping this in. Like, other stuff yep. I might be like, oh, add it in, but here, just like, yeah, okay, I get it. I am 100% with you, brother. Yep, feeling the same way. Next one is a quick one called Yaks Girls, and this is where Han is kind of giving Sean an intro to the city about not for your eyes, bro. Those those girls belong to the Yaks, the Yakuza. They only wear black to the funerals because then they they go to lots of funerals, right? He also says Yakuza very strange in this scene. I see why this was cut, but it's also cool because this is the alley that Sean goes back to to give the money to um, DK's uncle. Yes. So it establishes that this is like a shady place that Sean shouldn't be at. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. But we really don't need it to know that just by their body language when he walks in, right? So I get it. Yeah, and Justin Lin said this is the intro to Kamada's Alley, which goes to that point, right? Yeah. But it gives you a sense of the people. And he was talking about how in researching this movie, he got to hang with a Yakuza guy. He said it was pretty crazy. He told him stories about cutting fingers and killing people and this guy actually came up with the funeral line about we only wear black to funerals, we go to a lot of funerals. And so a ah, little bit cool. of background there. But again, it's kind of a quick thing. Like, we, we get it. We get it. We understand. The Yakuza are, like, so flagrant. Like, we met this kid and he had all these tattoos. And we're like, oh, those tattoos are really cool. Like, where did you get them? He was like, I was in the Yakuza. <laughs> like, that's... Like, oh, okay. Yeah, you're like, there you go. Like, they're, like it's just known. 
and they'll like stop traffic. It's cool. Interesting line though. I like that he got that from a guy that was in the Yakuza. Like we only wear black to funerals. It's cool. Yeah. The next scene is probably the weirdest scene of the bunch. This is called the night before the morning after. And this is kind of just establishing the family vibe, the family aesthetic, them in Han's garage. Yes. Twinkie comes out and somebody puked in the bathroom. They make Sean clean it up. They're talking about whatever, and this is more Earl and Rako fighting. And I just, it like, it's cool. And there's a little bit of trivia that I will say from the thing, but like overall, I was just like, I don't, I don't get, I don't understand this scene. Well, I think it's like to show that like Sean's the new guy here, and he's gonna get hazed. That part yeah. I get. The scene's a little long for that. And why is Rako uh, so angry? If this was my character that was just like, like angry girl. I'd be like, come on, man. Like, can I do something else? Like, again, it goes to the whole, like, they don't know how to write female characters. And, like, they even say, like, where Earl is like, are you on the rag? It's like, well, don't say that. Like, write her better. Like, I don't understand. Like, we never get a payoff to why she's angry. No. Right. And there's no explanation for why. Like, why is she just angry? Like, her, her whole character traits are anger. Like, like, she might be angry because she likes Earl and Earl's with other girls. Like, that kind of makes sense, but we never understand. Like, that never comes to a head, right? So... No. No. And especially... And then they just cut her out completely. But, like, even here, it's like, what were you trying to do? And she's just angry. Like, it's not even like she... It's like the, uh, the undirected anger. I'm glad that they got rid of this one, too. So this was, again, cut for pacing purposes. Uh, Justin Lin said that they had more fun shooting than how it turned out, which seems fair. Like, it seems like this is probably a blast to film because there's, like, so many people and so much, so many things going on Pods and whatever. And, yeah. He said the idea was to get a sense of the building the family and introducing the environment... Uh, it was fun and nice, but ultimately didn't help move the story along. Nope. The cool thing is that Justin Lin's brother is the guy in the pod with the two girls who, like, lifts the thing and just like, hey, guys, come on. Like, that's uh, Justin Lin's brother. That's and cool. he said that I had to cut it out. My dad's going to kick my ass, which is pretty funny. He talked about how Keiko's very good in the scene, which I don't know that she is. That We're just talking about that. Like, it feels like she's doing stuff. But it's like, why? Why? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And apparently in the gag reel, which we have not watched, which we'll watch in a future lap, Lucas Black and Bow Wow made her, quote, go off. And she like exploded in some way that made everybody on set laugh for like five minutes. So like, I don't know if she just channeled the anger. I don't know where that came from, but I guess we'll get to that when we get to that. We need like a deleted scene to fix the deleted scene here. Yeah. Just a weird, I just, I don't, it's too long. And like, I don't know. I'm with you. Cut it. The next scene is the aforementioned in the Wells email, one in six billion. Now I was trying to figure out why is Sean delivering money to DK? Is this, do you think this is the money that Han, that he makes, that Han makes him get? from the bear paw guy? I don't think it necessarily has to be that. I think that Sean is just Han's delivery man now. So he just like sent him to go drop the money off to DK. Like he's saying like, it's just reaffirming that he's the money pick up and drop off guy. But it does feel weird that Han wouldn't just like, why doesn't Sean bring it to Han and Han brings it to DK? And this is where DK starts talking about his uncle about Never told me to get hung up on one girl. There's no such thing as the one. There's six billion people, but I have to disagree. Neil is the one in six billion, don't you think? And Sean just says, see you next week. Yeah. What do you answer to that? That reminds me of the Letty driving away from Owen Shaw. Like, I just, there's nothing. There's no win here. Yeah, there's no way to win. And like, it's it's awkward. It's cool to see more DK here, but I, I can see why they cut this scene too. Because like, what is, what is he doing? Like, he's not even like really intimidating Sean. He's saying that like, I like this girl. Like, if he would have threatened him, it would be like, oh, okay, that's something different. But he just tells him like, oh no, that's the girl that I like. So like okay, cool. What I liked about this, like there is a, there's DK intimidation, like, hey, back off my girl. But it also feels in a way like a tender side of DK 
that we don't otherwise get. Yes, you're right, because he's like, he cares about Neela so much, she is the one for him. Because we hear, like, the backstory of, like, how she was, you know, kind of, like, taken in by the family or whatever, but we don't really get a sense of, it, it makes me wonder sometimes, like, if she, if she was just the one who was there and he just kind of developed a crush on her, but it feels yeah. like, no, like, she, like, he knows, he thinks that she's special, and maybe he's building up a little bit just to, like, needle Sean a little bit more, but it feels like, no, like, he, he cares about Neela. He does, yeah. This is his soft side, but why does he tell it to Sean and not Neela? It's weird. Okay. Maybe she knows. I don't know. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, she says something eventually where she's like, yeah, that's like, you don't know him like I know him or something. Because he's, he's right. like, that guy's an asshole. And he, she's like, you don't really know him. So Justin Lin said that this was something that they just, they wrote and thought it could be interesting. And they just wanted to shoot it and see how it turned out. He said they did a good job, but they went into it shooting to try, see what they could do. Have a little bit of a face off, get to know DK the way he thinks. They wanted to do something different. They wound up. There would be score here, but it was abandoned so early on in the cutting that they never, they didn't. There's yeah. no music written for this. Makes sense. They were trying to bring in the notion of Uncle Kamada, which again, this feels like at least the second time that he's been mentioned and cut out, right? About Twinkie saying it, and maybe Han saying it, and yeah. now here, maybe the third time, right? He said that's what's fun about movies. Sometimes you can go for it, and if it doesn't work, it ends up in the deleted scenes. It's like, nope. Oh, okay, sure. That's a good point. Like, if I was making a movie, I think one of my methodologies would be to, like, shoot extra shit, and if it doesn't work, then you're just like, okay, you don't have to use it. He says Leo, again, Morimoto, had the most fun kissing everyone he could get his hands on. Like, he is kissing a different girl in every scene, or just, like, handsy or whatever. Like, Han is, you know, arm around two different ladies in every scene, but Morimoto's, like, actually making out with probably five or six different people in these scenes, which is... Okay, sure, go for it, I guess. But Get it. Weird, yeah, weird. Sh- sure. The next scene is one of my favorites because of the background, and I'll tell you that. And also, I had to put on sub... This is the one scene where I had to put on subtitles because I was like, I don't know what he's saying. Oh, I had to play it a couple times to just to, to make it out. I didn't put on subtitles, but I had to play it a couple times to figure out what he was saying. It's called Wasabi, comma, Dad Sees Sean's Evo. This is when Twinkie and Earl are eating sushi, and Earl is, like, loading up on wasabi. And yeah, they get the idea ton. to dare Sean to eat the wasabi without telling him what it is. Yes, exactly. What's the equivalent? What is 2,000 yen? What's 4,000 yen? What does that translate to in dollars? $20 and four. There's no, there's no decimal points, so just... Oh, okay. Just move it over. I mean, it's definitely not, like, a one-to-one. But it's close but enough. But it fluctuates around one-to-one. It's close enough. So for all intents and purposes, it's like 20 bucks or 40 bucks is what he's saying. So he offers him basically $40 to eat a huge bite of wasabi. And Sean does. Before we talk about more of the scene, he actually did this. Oh, you can see it in his face because he tears up 100%. Yeah. His eyes started watering up. Of course, we could only do one take. Justin then said he was probably shitting fire for a week. I mean, yeah, maybe. Sean takes it and like does a better job with it than I could. And he says... Quote, raised on habaneros, bro, radishes ain't gonna cut it. Yes. And everybody goes crazy. But I was like, but the way he says it in his, like, flat kind of delivery, and his southern he just boy ate, affectation. He just ate a whole mouthful of wasabi. You see it, like, in his face. Like, he's trying to say this, but, like, his mouth is on fire, right? So. It's, I, I can't, I can't. The way he says habaneros is I heard crazy Reyes, Reyes has habaneros. Reyes by habaneros? Yeah. And I was like, what is Reyes Habaneros or something? And then I was like, oh, Raised on Habaneros. Raised on Habaneros, bro. Radishes ain't going to cut it. Do you like wasabi? Have you ever eaten wasabi? I do. I like wasabi. Uh, it kind of got the horseradishy thing. Like, I like that nostril clearing heat. Like, I do, it's astringent. I do like that. Yeah. yeah. Dude, if I ate that much, though, like, it would really hurt my nose. Because, like, it always, like, goes up your nostrils really bad. 
it's a different. Like thing. I don't eat sushi enough to have like a real ratio down. So sometimes I put like a little bit. And I can't really taste, and then sometimes I put too much on. Not anywhere near this. Where it's, it seems like a tablespoon essentially, right? Of of it's wasabi, more. if not more. Yeah. I kind of err on the side of too much than too little because I do like that heat. But yeah, this is this is crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. I, I couldn't do it. I would have like vomed or something. Dad sees Sean's Evo. This bleeds into the next scene, which is also cut. And then this is when Sean returning home, just saying, I got a job, deliveries. And this is Sean's dad, an old Japanese man, eating and drinking outside. That yep. old guy was the assistant director. And so oh, that's Justin, cool. uh, Justin Lin was bummed that he couldn't make it into the final movie. But it was nice to have, you know, sort of a, this guy behind the camera on camera for a moment. Doesn't have any lines, but, you know, it was just there. Yeah, it was cool. I see why they cut that tiny scene, too, because it's like doesn't really matter that reminds me of from the first movie like jesse being like oh i got a disc like let me let me go pee and then i'll go get the disc it's like oh we we don't need this yeah don't need it it's totally fine without it next scene is called golf drifting what i love about this it's so on brand for the show dead mall yeah yeah you're right i didn't really think about the dead mall aspect of it but you're right they're in a dead mall and this is earl just talking shit about everyone hans friends with like is this yeah special olympics of drifting he's talking about how like reiko sucks at drifting and bow wow drives a minivan and like sean can't drift and whatever and so they take Earl and they strap him to the top of the golf, golf. Volkswagen yeah. Golf, and they drift through a slipper. Like, it's actually slippery. He's actually strapped to the top. Bow Wow crashes into uh, a mall. It's fun. This is a fun scene, but doesn't contribute anything. I get why they cut it, too. It was weird to see him strapped to the top of the car. And also, like, he's just so aggressively mean to his friends in the beginning of the scene. I'm like, I'm not invested in this one. So apparently this came about because the garage that they had scouted was on the first floor of a building, and this mall was on the second floor. And it was actually under construction, and it was just available. And so they convinced whoever, I guess, owned the building to let them shoot there. But that is an actual under-construction mall that was vacant, that it wasn't just like a separate location, just above where they were shooting, which I think is pretty cool, which I think goes to your point of like, doesn't anything, like, it probably might not have even been in the original script. It's just like, hey, we've got a mall. What can we do with this? Yeah, we got a mall. What can we do with this? If it works, we keep it in. If it doesn't, we can cut it out. Not a big deal. It's like above us. Like, why not try to use it? And Justin Lin had two regrets about cutting this. Number one, his brother, once again in here, says a line at the beginning of the scene, like he drops something off or whatever. But number two, this is really the only time that Bow Wow gets to drive. And so he was bummed that, ah. that you know that got cut from the movie. So makes sense. The next one I was I was hoping for more and it becomes something different than I was expecting based on the name. But the next one is called Happy Birthday to Han. And my first thought was, where's Roman? Yeah, yeah, seriously. Uh, but, you know, Han's just having a huge birthday party and just surrounded by a harem of women. A ton of women. Um, and it seems like it's a continuation of, like, one of those parties. It looks a lot like the other Russian model party scene. Yep. And, like, the also the previous scene where somebody puked in the ceiling before that deleted scene. So I'm like, okay, it's kind of redundant. They have parties. That's fine. But it's like, this twist is it's Han's birthday. But after... We get through there. Neela shows up, right? Yep. And she has a present. And Twinkie's like, okay, he's in the back. And that's when we get arguably the corniest lines ever delivered in a Fast and the Furious movie. And that's saying a lot. It's the same vibe, sort of, as Han saying, you know, this is my Mexico, but like not it's it's again corny just, i was hoping the scene would be about han it's not about han it's not about han. like he doesn't even have a line no but i was like okay but then there was a nice moment between sean and neela and this is the second time in the deleted scenes that we've cut sean working on his car which i think is kind of cool like it just he's always doing that right so i think it's yeah. kind of cool pretty cool but yeah neela says there's no right or wrong in drifting how you drift is who you are it's like fingerprints everyone's different fast slow smooth rough it doesn't matter i was like 
Oh. Little sexual innuendos, too. Drifting is who you are. It's like your fingerprints. Like, come on, man. Like. So she shows up in what Justin Lin describes, and is fair, the shortest skirt possible for a woman to wear. That's fair. She's wearing a very short dress and, like, thigh-high boots. Yes. And with the gift, right? And Sean, maybe overwhelmed by her beauty or whatever, is just like, a question about cars? I'm like, guy, like, that's, okay, on brand, sure. She says, the way you drift, I'd soften the rear suspension. He's like, what's wrong with the way I drift? And then that's when she delivers. So it makes sense in the scene, but it's also like, come on. It also reminds me somewhat of the next movie, the 20% angel, 80% devil line. Like, it's got that kind of vibe, but... But it's cornier, yes. yes. It, ha- it yeah, has... Yeah. They're tr- they're trying to get to here. They're trying to get to the price, like, uh, the price of a car I'm willing to pay to learn what a man's made of. Like, they're trying to get one of those going, and it just doesn't work. <laughs> like, word-wise, syntax-wise, like, dialogue-wise. It's just not the same. And I don't want to blame Natalie Kelly, because I think she's great, and we talk about in the back half of this episode that this is her first on-screen role. I think that if it was a more more seasoned actor it might have been delivered a little bit better like it's a difficult line i think for anybody to deliver but it's also yeah that's fair so justin lynn said that a lot of these scenes were designed with the whole crew in mind the family the family atmosphere this is han with his girls we really wanted to explore more of sean and eli i also thought it was interesting that like he's doing these director's commentaries before he might know that han returns in four but it's like before we know really who han is so i was kind of like wondering if he's going to like hint i'm like oh wait no this is this is recorded like way before right like this is like yeah. a, it was kind of like messing with my mind a little bit about like am i going to learn anything about more about han it's like oh not really because like no this is i i have, I have points about that from the next one in the next deleted scene but yes go ahead he says I think it worked pretty well. We wanted to explore the more of Sean and Neela, but we had to keep the story moving. You have to sacrifice these scenes. The whole idea of drifting, we get that in the dragon run sequence. Yep. With them drifting the mountain road. So we don't need that here. It's kind of like, yeah, everybody can drift, everybody, whatever. But it's a nice scene. It is a corny scene. I wouldn't mind if this was in there, given enough time. I mean, I would love I would love this line. Like, it's a corny line, but like, all these movies are kind of corny, right? Like, yes, I would yeah, love yeah. this. Like, if this was in there, I'd be like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm on board. Yeah, your drifting is like your fingerprints. This is the kind of quote that would be in the Zimbio quiz. If yeah, uh, yes. was an option, right? Yes, I agree. Yep, yep. And the final scene, the final deleted scene is a kiss before Kamada. Is this the first time? So this is after Sean beats DK and they drag DK out of the crashed car. Is this the first time? Do, do Sean and Neela kiss in the movie? I'm trying to think, and I don't, I don't know that remember, they do. dude. I was trying to figure out, like, how this scene was different than the one we see in the movie, and, like, other than DK, like, I don't think you see DK get dragged out of the car in the first one. So, I, I'm i having a hard time, and we literally just watched this, whatever. I can't piece how it's different, because it's using clips from the movie anyways. You know what I mean? It's not vastly different enough. What we're trying to explain is it's not vastly different enough to distinguish what's not in the movie. Justin Lin said this was cut because that kiss, like he said, it's, it takes away from what the movie was about. It's not about the kiss. It's about the characters defining themselves. They said that this made it into a Sean and Neela thing, but the movie really isn't. And I was like, oh, right. Like, yeah, because like there is a will they won't they. It's kind of him taking DK's girl kind of but it is more so about becoming friends with Twinkie and Earl and yep. Rico and Neela and Han and whatever right like it's the bigger story and it's, it's not about them like it doesn't Their matter if story isn't the isn't the main driver of this movie yeah yeah I was saddened by the absolute utter disappointment in Kamada's face and again this, this might be some variation of what we see but just like his like his teary-eyed kind of like goodbye to both Takashi and also Neela like him saying at the end like Neela like 
you know, you've, you've, you've spent your time. Cause she's you know, kind of like an uncle or a father figure to her too. Right. Like yeah, you're, you're yeah. free to go. So this is like a kind of an emotional moment from Kamada. Like he kind of comes out short in all this too. Like we have more building up his mythology, but also him delivering this. The thing that I was focusing on with this one now, looking at it in retrospect, that we see the car flip in the movie we don't see DK get pulled out of the car in the movie. Right, yep. And then we know that Han's car flipped in the movie. Yep. And we know that he's alive now with the trailer of Nine, so mm-hmm. can we imagine that like Justin Lin used this, this specific scene that he cut to be like, oh yeah, we could have dragged Han out of the car... And then, like, it would have been fine, right? Like, it's it's very, very weird. So It is very weird. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I think what we will talk about in the back half of this is the differences, the actual visual differences between the crash in 3 and then the crash in the credit scene in 6. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where that idea comes from, right? It's that That's a good point, though. That might be it. Yeah, and it's, like, it's interesting to look back on it now and think about this. Like, we always say don't we don't see a body, right? And that's like a very common version of this we do see han like kind of reaching out of the car like han is not dead we ex- we expect him to die from the explosion but then we know right. now he's still alive so we have to believe that he came out of the thing and also we see the same type of sequence when we have letty flips the car and then you see yep mm-hmm. so we he he's constantly reusing this Thing. So it's interesting to see it here and be like, yo, man, remember in Tokyo Drift when we pulled DK out, we didn't use that scene? Like, let's do that for Letty now, you know? Like, yep. it was something cool that, like, really took my brain down a weird path to try to figure out what was happening. The only other note from the director's commentary about why they cut this or sort of the feelings on this is that he was saying that, Justin was saying that Brian T, who plays DK, plays Takashi, was did such a good job here, like, the vulnerability in him just, like, sad and, like, I can't believe I failed myself and the family and whatever... Uh, that he felt bad that they had to cut this performance because it, it really gave him a moment. Again, kind of another emotional sort of moment like we had before him talking about Neela. Yeah, I get it. I would say overall, so one had a bunch of scenes, two had some scenes, four had did four have four had none, right? Yeah, one of them had none. I don't remember which. Maybe four. And then five had a couple, like two minutes and six. Like this is by far, this is more than every other deleted scene combined in time. I don't know that they're as impactful as the first one, but I, I loved watching. Like these, this is this is great. Like this is what I was hoping to get for again. All of them. Or out of the yeah, exactly. I know. I hundred percent agree with you. And I know that we had seen a couple of these. I definitely remember the wasabi one, and I remember like in an earlier lap, I had like was looking for a scene, and I found this. And I, like, watched a couple of them, but to see all of them together was really nice, too. I said to you, like, when I put in the DVD last night, the Blu-ray, and to, to see the deleted scenes, I was like, oh my god, like, there's 18 minutes. Like, we were thinking, you know, I knew that there were deleted scenes, but I guess I was sort of trained or whatever. Oh, the last couple of scenes, maybe they had two minutes or whatever. I'm like, I don't know how much it's going to actually be to prep. And then I was like, oh, there's 18 minutes over, like, 11 scenes and director's cut. Like, there's a lot. Like, they, this is the kind of, like, this is the reason you buy Blu-rays, essentially, right? Because it's like, yes. oh, there's actual content here. There's actual backstory and whatever. So yeah, I agree. Any other thoughts about the overall deleted scenes? Again, I think it's worth watching. We'll add them to the Too Fast You Forever YouTube playlist. But anything else of note you want to say about any of these deleted scenes? They're good. They're interesting. I'm glad to add them to the thing. I couldn't add the one video. It's being weird, but let's take a break. Let us welcome in Nico and Kevo, and let's talk about Tokyo Drift for the seventh time. Well, actually, yes. the ninth time because we did it with the Slumber Party and third times, right? So who boy. Tokyo Drift.
back to Too Fast, Too Forever. This is episode number 130, Fast and the Furious, Tokyo Drift. This episode is brought to you by TokyoMemories.com. They offer an array of specialty crafted walking and food tours guided by their knowledgeable and friendly local guides where you can stroll through charming neighborhoods, sample delicious street foods, enjoy a night out, enjoying Japan's legendary food and drink culture, and get a truly local insight into the huge city of Tokyo. Well, shout out to TokyoMemories.com. A lot of my memories of Tokyo are from this movie. Is that weird? That you've never been there, so you only have Tokyo Drift memories? Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. With us today, of course, as they are all lap long, joining us for Tokyo Drift are back in time to go forward in time. We have to go back. We have with us today the co-hosts of the HTML podcast, Nico Vasillo and Kevo Reese. Hello, guys. Welcome. Well, you did this to us. You really did, didn't you? You guys really didn't like this movie. It, oh, oh no. absolutely not. Bottom of the six. Really? Okay, it's a very polarizing one. This is this is it. This is like... I won't spoil why I think this. We'll get into it when we get into it. But I think for Nico and Kevo, this would have played a lot better after two, I think. Probably. I think so. Even after two, it would have still been racist, homophobic, misogynist, mean-spirited, lacking an understanding of Tokyo culture. Yeah, and don't es- forget xenophobic. Oh, xenophobic, <laughs> uh, problematic, hateful, and genuinely a movie that doesn't understand the people that it's targeted at that's gonna be a but problem how do you for me really after feel t- oh I, I even liked parts of it but time was not kind to this film so this is a very polarizing movie and not necessarily for those reasons but this is one that's either like people's favorite in the franchise or least favorite in the franchise and there's kind of no middle ground and so even if you have different reasons for not liking it you're not i mean nobody's ever right or wrong for liking or not liking something but you are not alone in not liking this movie a lot of people don't like it a lot well whether it's that all of the women are window dressing or that any of the good guy Asian representation are essentially magical Asian wizards here to make your wishes come true. I mean, I was literally doing like flapping fairy wings as I was doing that. <laughs> oh, I felt could, it. I felt it. You could it. possibly hear the gallop. It was so troubling how anyone who wasn't an Americanized identity was instantly expendable or anybody who represented the true heart of Tokyo and was somebody with a strong accent and ties to the community, it was just straight the fuck up evil. Those were your two choices. You could either be American or you could be evil. Or you could be in the Yakuza. Well, actually, they go out of their way to make it very clear to us that a bunch of the worst people in this movie aren't even in the Yakuza. (laughs) They're Yakuza wannabes. So what they're even telling us is the ones who aren't good enough for a life of crime spend all of their time wanting to be as horrible as murderers and rapists and drug runners. Before we get into all of that, because there is a lot to unpack, I have two questions kind of about the movie, but independent of the movie hard hitting once again either or questions are you too ready for these very difficult questions yes i am too ready too fast and too furious thank you thank you thank you so first up are you a fan do you prefer american muscle or import cars because now that we're in tokyo this is where a lot of the you know a lot of japanese cars make their way over here do you prefer american muscle or imports from any country. You know, it's really tough because, and I, I really get the question you're asking, but I think we need to go back to World War II for a minute, okay? <laughs> oh, why, and, uh, why would I ever expect a straight answer? Go ahead. 
So when I think about World War II and this idea of excommunication from the European super empire, and I think about where all of the Nazis hid, they all hid in South America, which is why you have so many half Aryan, half Brazilian, super gorgeous bodybuilders. But American bodybuilders, like a true American muscle, those guys tend to wear board shorts because they're scared of showing off their... I'm so sorry, Nico. Oh, no, I I absolutely understand what you were saying, but I don't have an answer to that. So I was just (laughs) going off book. That's fine. You know, the problem is American guys don't ever want to wear the poser. They always want to have like on full long trunks. And I I don't know if it's like junk shame or if it's like (laughs) skinny leg syndrome, but American muscle tends to be all about them board shorts. And the ones who aren't all about them board shorts uh, let you know what their OnlyFans page. Even The Rock, who is like the most American muscle as you get, is like a fan of the board shorts, right? Like he's got nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, Same thing with Chris Evans, my precious Chris Evans, who has best possible superhero physique I think anyone's ever had in a Marvel movie. And he is not a big fan. Like, since Captain America began, he does not show his legs in public. It's the calves. They all, him, The Rock, they all have trouble with their calves. It's a tough muscle. And it's a muscle that you really can't grow because you walk on your calves 24-7. You're always using them. So to convince them to grow is so tricky. I remember, and this is going back to similarly, we were just talking in the last episode, wink, wink, intro, about MTV shows. And I remember, I don't remember what show it was, but I remember there was like... Yes! I know what you're talking about. Everybody wanted plastic surgery, and this one dude was like, "I finally have huge calves." And I was like, "He got calf implants." I remember that episode. It was true life. I'm getting plastic surgery. You're right. Yeah, that sounds right. One and the calf one really freaked out. I can't believe we all remembered the calf muscle implants. Because I remember like two girls got a nose job, and I'm sure there were other stuff, but like the calf, I was just like, "That's such a weird request," but I guess it's not. It was literally the first time I became aware that that was a muscle area that men could feel insecure about. I like Same. recognized that some men have skinny calves, but I never really thought of it as something that someone would be self-conscious about. And here's the thing, and I'm going to I'm going to kind of put some things in terms of some things. We make jokes a lot about, you know, the quality of masculinity as it intrudes on the possibility of coexistence for gender and Something Kevin and I were just joking about the other day was I other than the fact of like you shouldn't poop on things and you shouldn't like shake your piss slit out at people. Why did people decide you always have to wear clothes covering your junk? What guy walked up to his buddies and was like, my cock is just so cool that if other people see it, they're going to go blind. So I'm going to cover it. But for your sake. And so then his buddies are like, my, my dick's pretty big. Yeah, I, I know. My, my glory dick has got to be covered too. And this just kept going. And then, you know, there were guys that were like, I don't want to be part of this, but I don't want to be called out on it. So uh, pants for me. You think that in this situation, it's a guy with a big dick who's hiding it as opposed to the small guy like, uh, I don't really. Yes, I, that's I, I very wanna, Nico. I, no, no, guys, that's not what should, I said. I hide that's it. not what I said. Oh, yeah. No, it's not. It's what not. I said was somebody said mine is so good. I can't let you see it because you will go blind. So we're not talking about size at all. It's going to be shape. Oh, it could be size. But the point is, you know, on average, the American (laughs) man adds an inch to their penis size when asked about length. On average, guys who weightlift tend to add roughly a plate to their maxes. And on the subject of penis sizes and things that are related to them, I honestly have to ask of the question. So (laughs) are you saying... It is American cars versus literally the rest of the world, and that's yes. what we are choosing between. Because well, then, ge- like, so generally, 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 it's like it's 
Asian car. Like it's 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 mostly Japanese, Japanese cars. cars and maybe some Korean cars, but traditionally, at least in the franchise, it's kind of like American. So you're muscle, not talking like cars, German. Not, I mean, kind we of are but broadly, really. but like, yeah, in the franchise, it's like American muscle versus like Mazda, like the car that. Han what the fuck are you two gonna do when they start introducing the spaceships? If asking you where the German cars <laughs> are leaves you this concerned. <laughs> Well, muscle or import or outer space, there's going to be a third option. True. As long as they're playing the soundtrack from this movie, it can be any car. I don't care. This movie had the best yes. soundtrack by far. Agreed. Thank you. So, Glad you like to that. ask the question again, and you can answer about dudes or cars, ha. American muscle or imports. I would have to answer, I don't think I really have much of a preference on either, and I more think something of having a preference. I'm with you on that because I don't think I care about the... I'm, I'm sure there's something different about the way they drive. There's merits for both, I would probably feel. But if yeah, you're going to ask true. me what cultural aesthetic I care more about, I'm, I'm going to be really honest. I loved Hot Daddy Carl's... Ha- okay, so the dad in this movie is actually the dad in Revenge, that show we love. He's not the main girl's dad. He's the love interest dad. He was a dad in four episodes, so he's like, he's the dad. Well, fuck that! He's hot anyway. And so his his little Navy apartment, which I loved how much they were like, look how Navy I am with T-shirt. His little Navy apartment and his big old thick daddy chest. Oh, God, he would be such a cute sub. His house... <laughs> It was like a magical little, like, elf nook. Everything was this super wooden, very, all the books, like, it felt like the Shire, but very modern. So, cars, meh. Just give me his apartment. And I love that he was like, you can take the bedroom. So you're saying that you prefer import to American muscle when it comes to the aesthetic of the set? To interior decoration. Yes, and I guess if I'm going to pick a car, I I guess I'm going to do it, but Rush Rush, give me a good old-fashioned 1950s Mustang doing, like, the sort of driving, racing each other, but then pulling off and secretly being gay together, because... <laughs> okay, so... We did love the Hulk car as well. Okay, so I'm going to say uh, car is American, but house is Japanese. Well, I mean, house is Hugh Laurie, and he's British, so... <laughs> it's, just a, it's, a, it's a bit of Fry and Laurie. And Kevin, what about you? All of these questions can be answered however you want to answer them, but how do you want to answer this question? Because Nico now has four emojis and a thing that I only thought one emoji would go. I think you gave Kevo, I think you gave me some of Kevo's emojis because I think some of his extrapolating for me was just kind of helping. He was saying that he doesn't think there's a benefit to either conceptually unless you know how to drive it. Then there's merits to both. So Fair. no preference. Just no and then preference. a whole lot of stuff about dicks and houses. Yes, that's no preference <laughs> and then a bunch of stuff about dicks and Plus houses. dicks and houses. Okay, I got that. It's not, I mean, it's on brand. It works. It's yeah. a dick house. Oh, God. It's mighty, mighty. He's letting it all hang out. Unless he puts well, it behind he's not. closed doors. He's not going. letting it all hang out. He is specifically saying it is so mighty, mighty, you can't see it. What's question two? Is the word oil one syllable or two? Well, you just said it as oil, and the way you said it, I was like, is he saying moil? Are we talking about the guy we're who performs this? We're not exclusively talking about dicks. We're I mean, not. Even though well, we are, I was but like, we're not. I mean, it's like drawer. Explain to me the question, because I'm sure it relates to the well, film, but I didn't notice anything of the pronunciation. Well, no, it doesn't. It's okay. The backstory <laughs> of this is that in college, we would play... Joe didn't go to college with me, but like, my friends and I would play a lot of charades, and we would do. you would start charades with syllables, 
And I, when I got a word that rhymes with oil, or maybe it was oil, I said it was two, and we went into this whole debate about whether it was one or two, and back then, this is back 0809, everybody was like, you're wrong, it's one. And then since then, people have come around, and to the point where early in this question being asked, almost everyone said two, they were all on my side. And then like the last like 15 people that we have asked has said one, even though we know technically it's a diphthong, which is a one and a half syllable word. I'm still asking one or two. So you're asking one or two, but you know that technically the answer is one and a half. Well, like we know what the answer to a question we're going to ask later in this lap is, but we know that definitively now, but we're still going to ask the question. So yeah, we know the answer, but I'm still looking for your preference. I got to interact with the question though. You should have typed it. You should have been like, how many syllables is that word you're looking at? Because I heard you say, Oi, and I was like, that's 16 and a half goddamn syllables. Like, <laughs> that's so much fucking oil. We're Beverly Hillbillies. What's happening? Like, if you're asking me, it's oil. How many it's syllables one. are in the word O-I-L? One. It's oil, just like it's drawer. It's not a drawer. When I had this one coworker, Pat, and she would be like, I went, it was at a, I worked at a bank and she was like, Nico, how much money is in your money drawer? And for a really long time, I was like, really like, I, I, I thought she had like a severe speech impediment. And like, I would try to like find ways not to ask her questions that ended in er sounds. Cause I felt so bad for her that she was constantly embarrassed trying to say drawer in front of people. So one day she's like oh yeah i was so upset my husband he broke one of the handles off our dresser drawers so it's just sometimes well so i was like wait you know that in a dresser they're drawers but you think this is a drawers and she was like (laughs) well they're different things one's got socks and one's got money and i was just like you're so old i don't want you to have this job anymore i don't want to get off topic here but an artist who draws and is a drawer is that two syllables or is that one or is that not a real word i would say that a drawer isn't really a a, a word you would call someone who technically does like a lot of initial like sketch concept where you could call them a draftsman and ah, somebody word. who like produces art is an artist what you're talking about would either be a penciler, a draftsman, or a sketch artist. You wouldn't really call okay. them a drawer. Well, that's, I mean, you ask the comic book guys. You get I know. A comic book yeah. The, a draftsman. I like that word. That's a good word. We actually have two different people on our concept art team. We have a draftsman and we have an, like, an esthetician. Someone whose job it is just to come up with the format and someone whose job it is to design the gilding of the lily. Interesting. Kevo, oil, one syllable or two? Oil. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's a the versus the situation where it depends on the context, but predominantly one syllable. Thank you. I think there is absolutely contexts where it makes a ton of sense to draw it out to two, you know, just for comfortability of speech. Or when you're singing Oil Spill from Bob's Burgers. But if you're saying Oil Can What from Wizard of Oz, that's one syllable. Oh, and you know what? I think it's because of the way the can hits. Exactly. Oil can what? Yeah, I'm about it. So now to kick off the conversation. So here is an interesting question, an interesting dilemma. We have been asking the Clutch Letty moment, and she's not been in a ton of movies. She's been in about half the ones we've watched so far. She's not in this one. I thought for a second, and I'm going to go first for a reason. I want to get your take, because I'm assuming, I'm very curious here with both of your struggles with this movie, where this is going to go. Archetypally, Neela who, by the way, do you know that Neela, do you recognize her from the first season of Unreal? Jonah did. Jonah was immediately like, 
Chloe from Unreal. I was thinking Grace Chloe Moretz. <laughs> I looked her up on IMDb. This is her first role, which is amazing. I don't know, Joe, I don't know if we ever knew that, but no. Natalie Kelly, who plays Neela, this is the first on-screen role that she's ever played, which is amazing to me. She's like the female lead in this. But I was like, what else has she been in? She's doing a lot of TV work, but she was in the first season of Unreal. Anyway, I think archetypally, Neela is the Letty role, that she has a soft inside, soft center, but she's got this gruff exterior. But I think... In a broader scope, she is not Letty because I don't think that Letty would ever let anyone talk to her the way that she allows or has allowed or whatever victimized by DK. Like, he is so cruel to her that I don't think Letty would, even Dom, she would be like, I'm not taking this shit. I'm out of here. Like we saw in Six when she drives away from Owen Shaw, not knowing who he is or what's going on, she leaves him. And I think that it's so Letty until it's not. Like, it kind of undid in that moment everything in the movie was kind of setting up Letty-wise. So I thought Neela for a while, and I'm not sure who the clutch Letty moment is, who the Letty character is in this. And I would like to get your thoughts, Kebo Nico. I would say Neela is a combination of Letty and Mia uh, yeah, okay. for how those bits would pertain to the lead male love interest character and all the bits from those characters that didn't fit what they needed for Neela spilled over into the minor character of Reiku. I kind of think... Neela is representative of kind of everything wrong with this film. For all intents and purposes, the beginning of the movie, that opening act that was clearly just... because This movie isn't a movie. This movie is a CW pilot. That opening is everything that would have come before Fast and the Furious, Tokyo style, the CW live-action adaptation of the Fast <laughs> and the Furious series that's never allowed to interact with the film franchise, right? The woman in the beginning of the film who is like, race for me, make me a fuck toy filmy like ridiculous that a man would ask a woman to say that dialogue truly because i would like a guy to say the same thing yeah i'm gonna race for you i'm gonna race to get to be the guy that puts my junk in you and if i'm not that guy's gonna do it switch the script and see if your line still makes sense if it sounds fucking gross coming opposite then maybe you shouldn't say it So Neela represents just the same take on this. As a matter of fact, Zachary Ty Bryant of Home Improvement, and I guess Veronica Mars and Buffy, is (laughs) the bad guy in the beginning of this movie. That's the oldest brother from Home Improvement. Yeah, yeah. And he's playing exactly the same characters that we see over and over again in the Tokyo side of things. This is my territory. You don't belong here, and I'm willing to ruin everything I've got with all of these extra connections I have, including my ownership of this woman who's going to needlessly put herself in constant danger because Dick is that amazing. Right? <laughs> well, before, before you take down everything, I want to say, I think if the rest of the depictions of women and people of color and everything were better, and I'm not saying that they're good because they're not, but I think that there is something beautiful narratively in, like, the more things change, the more things stay the same. Like, I think there is a reason why they are saying, whether he's in Arizona or in Tokyo, it's the same struggles, it's the same kind of thing. Like, I think that narratively makes sense. It's just the fact that, like, no woman has agency, which is a bigger issue. But I think the actual story beats, like, I think it's a positive. I don't know if it actually is a positive, but I think in that way it could be seen as a positive. I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying in as far as The Wizard of Oz. Right? And I'm not being funny or silly. This is kind of the Wizard of Oz. He's Dorothy. He wants to get away from this. He goes to a form of his family in a far-off land filled with bright lights and colors. He's whisked around by a wizard who wants to show him everything. And he doesn't exactly have to go home, but he kind of has to go home. But it doesn't really come together that way because even though Dorothy is going back 
to Kansas. She's going back with Oz in her heart. Yeah. In that regard, I do get what you're talking about. But the thing that makes me sad is this isn't wherever you go home is. This is wherever you go. Your misery is built into the fact that you were an unwanted bastard. Yeah. Like yeah. this kid literally is everything we would see in an episode of Unsolved Mysteries where Robert Stack would be like, he had a troubled life growing up, bounced around foster care. And that's not to say that every child that goes through foster care is going to come out some sort of Jeffrey Dahmer. Far from it. Because the American foster care system, for all of its flaws, has still turned out some beautiful children, right? I don't see this as he's going to find himself wherever he goes. I see this as... Wherever this kid goes, he's going to be miserable and everybody in his wake is in trouble. I don't think it helped my perception much either with the first cop that we saw him interact with who was like so ferociously overacting and up in Lucas Black's face that it made me uncomfortable. It didn't help me sympathize with the character that they, they were already doing enough for that. It just made me uncomfortable and feel like they don't really have a grasp on what a character like this really would be going through. I do hear what you're saying about if we could get past the mistreatment of minority perspective, perhaps there is some good to this movie. And I do think there's a ton of good to this movie. Okay, so while I do have some problems with the lack of positive representation for Asian characters in a film set in Asia, because, I mean, if you're just stealing Asian bad guys and you're just stealing Asia as a backdrop, you are literally using them as evil Asian stereotypes. This is Fu Manchu. This is quite seriously verging on the Mandarin. Everybody who is not an Asian wizard here to help the white guy, who is the white savior of this, by the way, he is straight up Iron Fist, drives better than anybody doing their style of driving, but he's from another culture and does it better. Mm -hmm. If you take those things out, I like things about this film and I appreciate it as a note in the franchise. I come from comics. For every amazing 20-year run on Uncanny X-Men by Chris Claremont, there's Joe Casey losing himself to cocaine on Uncanny X-Men <laughs> for 12 issues and being fired abruptly and having to reclaim his life. For every one of the first, there's of the latter. And I can appreciate this movie for that. It's hard for me to get past the deep-seated, outright xenophobic appropriation that I still see in our world today. If I fucking hear one more person call it the China virus, yeah. then let's take a look at our material where anytime Americans are placed in a situation with Asian culture, the Asians are evil. That's a problem for me. 100% on all of that. I agree fully on all of that. But I think there's another thing to keep in mind that I'm not trying to give this movie a pass by any stretch of the imagination. We just watched a movie from 2013. Now we're back in 2006. And so, again, still too recent to be happening, to have this stuff, but, like, it is farther in the past than we have been talking about. And there's the homophobia slight in the first one. And, like, things are not good. And I'm not trying to give it a pass, but I think it is also worth remembering that the world... I mean, the world was different six months ago than it is today, but like also that far back as opposed to just five years ago, it's like 15 years ago, right? Also, so like, this is the first Justin little... Lin one, and he like approved all of this stuff, like right or wrong. Not just Justin Lin, but this was also actually the first Chris Morgan script as well. It was the first from both of them working together. Yeah. Right, and they both become the defining voice of the 
behind the camera, behind the pen, whatever, right? So, And, and this was only Chris Morgan's second developed screenplay. His first film was the 2004 movie Cellular, starring Chris Evans, Kim Basinger, and interestingly enough, Jason Statham. Jason Statham with too much hair in that movie, by the way. Cellular, too much hair for Jason Statham. He looks much better bald. Go on, Nico. I do hear what you're saying about Justin Lin approved this, but as a queer man, Ryan Murphy does not speak for me. And the things Ryan Murphy says that are okay to say of gay people and that gay people do horrify me. He has portrayed yeah. gay people as child-stealing rapists for 15 years. He doesn't speak for me, even when he is a queer man creating queer art. Totally fair. I get that. And I do wonder, in the broader sense, like even if he is, like, say he is the best advocate for Asian voices, and like, let's just say that is true for a minute. Like, I don't know if this is—he's so early in the franchise that it's not like he can be like, "Hey, this is what we're doing." Like, you can as a director, but this is also still a studio movie. And yeah, like, that's fair. Trillionly, a million percent. Yep. Yeah, John Boyega has been the spokesman for what you're saying. They yeah. kept saying, "Be blacker," and then my blackness became a problem. What he has said about the Star Wars movies in the last like month or two or however long he's been saying it basically since since he's like okay i did my tour of duty now i'm gonna say what i really feel like he is he is putting words to a problem that we all knew existed but nobody ever really talked about so and it's a problem that always existed even specifically in that franchise that people don't like to talk about the actors who worked on the prequels talked about what a nightmare it was working with all those green screens and empire strikes back is why carrie fisher developed her cocaine addiction these films were always problematic which isn't to give them a pass yes we do need to fix this this has always been a problem and i am glad that he is being so vocal so immediately on the heels of the movies so that perhaps something can be done yeah because it's not like star wars is over like star wars is on a mini hiatus but like disney's not going to stop making movies no. that basically make a million dollars a time just by putting the word star wars in there right so yeah. or 500 million if you're solo i'm so sorry solo <laughs> solo which had so many directors Solo, solo. I have a very important question for the two of you before. I want to make sure that we ask it, and I don't know if you're going to remember the details of it, and I also might not be able to get the details right, but yes. there is a great debate that this movie has spurred that I think maybe finally we agree on, but I don't remember how we agree. I never remember because it's it's gone so many different ways, but we can open it up again. So I just want to ask the question, and I don't want to add any flavor to this because I truly do not remember where we all fall, but <laughs> Sean gets in trouble in America, flies to Japan, yes. knocks on his dad's door. His dad answers, says, Sean, you're supposed to be here on the 7th. Sean says, it is the 7th. He says, hold on a second. He closes the door, goes back inside, and lets out a woman of the night, right? He lets out a, a prostitute, whatever. We've always wondered who messed up, because realistically, you're probably not hosting a prostitute on the night that your son is supposed to arrive, unless you're really the worst person in the world. Military background, ostensibly not the case. But someone screwed up, either Sean's dad, Sean's mom, or Sean, and we can't get to the bottom of it. We have spent so much time, way too much time, debating this. And I want to know if either of you thought at all about that scene, if it just went by you and you didn't pay it a second thought. But someone messed up there, and I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that. First question, why do we assume she's a prostitute? Oh, no, because he said thank you very much. He literally thanked her for her sex. <laughs> that is... That is what that is meant to represent, the same way his Navy shirt is meant to tell us that he's a naval man. <laughs> Even myself potentially read it that way as well, 
but especially without any further development for that character or seeing or seeing him do anything like that again later throughout the course of the film came to wonder whether that was what the situation was and i myself have often thanked a trick after walking them out so you know it doesn't mean it wasn't just a hookup Number one, if I can elaborate on that in two ways, half the time when he's walking the trick out, it's because they're walking funny. Number two, the other thing I want to make a comment on is I actually did think about it a lot. It distracted me for half of the movie. And (laughs) this is what I can't... I was really fucked by the fact that he was like, domo origato. That was almost (laughs) as bad as the way everyone kept saying gaijin in this movie. He kept saying, do you think I'm just another gay genie? I was so (laughs) overwhelmed. But so... I have two opinions. It's either number one, he is a recovering alcoholic and his son coming to town kicked him off the wagon, which is why there's so many beers and he looks so sad and he is this woman's sponsor. He's her number sponsor. Two, okay. I like that. Right. Number two, standing appointment, non-refundable, had to get it in or he was going to lose the yen <laughs> either way. You know what? I think you do bring up an excellent point because that makes me wonder if there might be something that was cut for time if they had cut that scene with his dad it would have made the plot more confusing you know so there's just nothing they could do to help further explain how he fucked that up i'm wondering in that regard we this lap because it's the missing pieces lap because of letty's amnesia in the intro to each episode you guys have been on joe and i've been watching the deleted scenes we've not done that yet because we're going to record that intro on saturday before this comes out but I wonder if there's anything like, Joe, that could be the missing piece of the puzzle. Like, the if we get clarity, I don't want anything else in this movie. Oh, I just I want know. explanation about the dad. I know. And you want it to be that he's an alcoholic in recovery and he's this woman's sponsor, right? Because yes. it elevates. She's having a dark day. That's why she doesn't like that she's got to leave. That's why he seems conflicted about it. And to Kevo's question about whether she's a prostitute or not, we've had a listener write in whose dad was in the military. He's just like, oh, yeah. And she has said that her dad has said, oh, yeah, that's just like what you do. Oh, no, absolutely. My sainted uncle be he ever so sainted or sainted whatever you want to call it he is for all intents and purposes he was my grandfather he was my grandfather's twin brother and i loved my uncle john with all my heart and every now and then he would so he was a lifelong marine he was a service marine uh his whole life every now and then he would just be like i got a little bit of advice for you always go to the bar with your most handsome friend find the most handsome woman make sure she's got a really ugly fat friend work really hard to get your friend with the hot girl." Because the fat one will let you do whatever you want. (laughs) Interesting. That was my grandfatherly advice from my grandfatherly figure. And every story he ever had about the military was like, yeah, we were all hanging out at the barracks. And this one guy was like, look at my dong and just like slung it. (laughs) And that was like every story he had. They were not good stories. No. So the problem that we had, the the real question, like, and what, why we asked this is because he goes, Sean, you're supposed to be here on the 7th, but Japan is 12 hours ahead. That would assume that he thought Sean was coming the next day, but the math doesn't add up. Because if Japan is ahead and Sean's like, it's the 7th now, he was assuming Sean was coming the next day because he wouldn't have missed Sean at the airport. And because he said yeah. I plan to pick him up at the airport, and he has a possible lady of the night with him. He has a he has a he has a companion that night, and we're like, so did he get the companion after Sean didn't show up at the airport? Like, did he meet up with his companion the night before? Pussy game so strong it gave him vertigo. I don't know what to tell you. That's good enough for me because the 
we were always trying to figure out if like he just assumed that the mom was kind of a screw up because whatever. But I don't know. There's no real rhyme or reason here. So no. I don't know. But hopefully a deleted scene fixes it. You're right. Yeah, I'm going to want to know what you guys find out from the deleted scenes. I don't know that I can analyze that, that scene in a dead author situation because I just sort of assume somebody was trying to make a joke about the time difference but messed it up or... Yeah. Something like that. So I don't know if I can come up with anything in context other than he's just super drunk. Okay, you know fair what? enough. One of my least favorite things in any movie is whenever anyone's like, you've been missing for seven years, 11 months, five weeks, <laughs> 11 days, and 36 hours. And I'm like, uh... That reduces! You need to make that eight years, my foolish friend, right? <laughs> yeah. I can't stand that stuff. And what I've actually had happen on more than one occasion, I've loved that Exus for Podcast has been stretching its, you know, faggoty X-Men wings, and we've been bringing in people from all over the country, and we have a few foreign correspondents coming on. I'm so excited. The thing that has happened on more than one occasion is I've had somebody be like, yeah, can't wait to see you tomorrow morning. I'm on at like nine o'clock and I'm ready to go. And I'm sitting there and I even reminded them about the time difference. And they somehow got it in their head that we're an hour ahead. That gives them an extra hour because it won't be that time for them for a little while longer. So that means they get an extra hour. Okay. So if it's nine o'clock our time, they don't need to be on until 10 o'clock their time. No, no. It's eight o'clock your time, my friend. You missed the episode. (laughs) I'm sorry. I left you at the airport to fuck this prostitute in recovery. (laughs) So what you're saying is just no international people can be trusted. Is that the message here? Yes. Oh, no. These were all domestic. These were all domestic. I don't trust anybody on Mountain Time. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Mountain Time. What are you doing? The Ozarks. What are you doing? So do we have a moment? Do we have a moment? Do we have a Clutch Letty moment? Do we have a Clutch Letty character? Oh, Han. Absolutely. I have the anti-Clutch Letty moment. And I think that Nico brought it up and I was saving it because that's what I was going to use. But the moment at the beginning where the blonde is like, you can race for me. That was like the most anti-Letty moment that have ever happened in a film. I want to build on that and Zachary Ty Bryan crying when she says, I guess I have a new date for prom, makes it even more all the most anti-Letty situation I have ever seen in my life. That is like an anti-Letty vortex. Anti-Letty, the cuckening. (laughs) You know, we've talked a lot on here and by a lot I mean we mentioned it a couple times but he's a football player he's got all those football buddies that he throws a baseball at the car which doesn't make any sense I noticed this time that he pulls the baseball out of his pocket he's like happy Gilmore he just carries one around with him I, keep your I, stupid I, comments in your pocket I don't understand <laughs> I mean baseballs don't really fit in pocket like he's wearing jeans it looks like How, where where did the well these are magic jeans because this is this magic this guy okay, so no and is this I, the I know, sisterhood of the traveling pants like is this I that? actually think it's the sisterhood of the traveling clutch but here's here's the because I'm still convinced there's a clutch of destiny here's the thing that I we make a lot more dick jokes on this show than we do per se on HTML when we're talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe which you would think would have a ton of dick jokes because it's all superheroes no right? on there you just talk about whether guys are cut or uncut but go, go on no that's excess for podcasts <laughs> but true. good I'm for sure. you thinking about everybody's foreskin and bringing the moil back I think that the situation is that these movies are representations of of these cars as penis metaphors, and that's even part of why I'm so embarrassed. What's the main... I can't get over the fact that uh, Bow Wow plays Twink. So, Sean, thank you. Well, so so Twinkie, Uh, by the way, Twinkie is uh, an Asian slur. 
he was originally cast as an Asian actor. Then I got, or they wanted to have him, but it's someone who's yellow on the outside and white on the inside. But he's but they replaced guess, that character with Bow Wow and kept the slur name for right. the character. But like Donald Glover is referred to that as an Oreo, right? Like it's you know like this movie I, is I don't a know. mess. I don't know. It's all it's all troubling. <laughs> the baseball in the pocket even proves it. This movie is just a mess. Barbie's dream house is burning, and no one is telling her her tits are melting. <laughs> so is that a Panic at the Disco reference? Go on. <laughs> actually. <laughs> Adding, is that a Panic at the Disco reference, right? Barbie's dream house is burning and no one to tell her that her tits are melting. Is that a Panic at the Disco reference? Is my favorite Fallout Boy song. So <laughs> the thing about this situation is that... So when Brian drives through that house in order... Sean. Damn it! When Sean drives through that house in, in order to prove his masculinity, he's literally saying, like, he, I'm penetrating this barrier. It's literally him saying, number one, homes mean nothing to me. I've never had one. Cars are my home, so fuck your house. Number two, he's saying, I can penetrate anything when I'm behind the wheel. It literally is a metaphor for his dick. Now, all the other dicks are like, yo, my dick's so flashy. Brian is Brian, though, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't confusing him for someone else. Wait, but Brian's not in this movie. No, I know, but I keep confusing Brian and Sean. I kept thinking that Sean might be supposed to be Brian's, like, dumb younger brother. I just wasn't sure. He's, no, he's like, he's, he's the Brian stand-in in yeah, this he's movie. Southern, he's, he's Southern boy Brian. I have feelings and thoughts about the idea that Sean might eventually be intended to be brought in to be a Brian replacement that we can talk about later. So okay. Okay. interchange their names as much as you need to. So, you know, Brian's like... My cars are so flashy because I get them officially from the government. And Dom is like, my cars are so flashy because I know how to be the best street racer there is. Yeah. Sean comes in and Sean's like, my dick's wonky on one side. Look at my car. (laughs) And he is just like, I mean, I don't think you need to put premium gas in. And like, he is just the most pathetic advertisement for triple a i've ever seen <laughs> and it's like sending him to tokyo redickenses him he gets like a dick juvenation they make him the white king of tokyo yeah they make him the white dick king of tokyo but the other thing is he only rules over other non-asian people and i guess for that reason i'm kind of relieved but now i want to get to the thing that really like i'm i'm not being ironic han is my favorite thing about this franchise times a million yeah I like a lot of things about this franchise as a whole. Dom might be the best version of that character in 20 years even. But for me, Han has a charm and a magic and almost a street racing elegance. There's something symphonic about the way Han interacts with these plots. In this movie, because he's given so little characterization outside of it, he is essentially the gay genie. But in the other films, it's about his charming suave confronting the idea of what you might expect from this guy who i mean like i love han but he kind of looks even a little bit mousy thought those cheekbones this movie did my precious han real dirty until han said i'm willing to destroy a car to find out what a man is made of that was not my han i need a reason that han would be working with such disgusting pieces of shit like this justin timberlake reject wannabe han is so far evolved past these people I turned to Kevin and said, oh my god, I get it now. We're going to find out that Han is still working for the feds, and he's trying to break up the Yakuza, and that's what happens. It wasn't. <laughs> and it didn't. 
and then that fucking retcon can suck my balls. Yeah, so the difficulty with Han <laughs> is that they write a very cool character who actually originated in another Justin Lin movie that we have not seen or covered yet called Better Luck Tomorrow, which came out, I think, in 2004. So the Han Solo character, the Han Lu character, comes from another movie, and he gets transported into this movie. And he's so cool, and he's only around for about an hour 15 until he's killed off in this movie, that they're like, oh, this kind of didn't work. Dom, like Vin Diesel is back now. We're going to reboot next, but we need to get this guy back because people love this guy. Yes. And like the, the, everybody else, we can kind the of fans drop fans were all like, that. just like you guys said, like Han is the best character in this movie. That's the only part we care about, right? And so not only is Tokyo Drift super polarizing in whether people like it or not, because it is the standalone thing that like two is kind of standalone, but at least Paul Walker was in two and we add Luda and Tej, like we add like Tej and Roman and whatever, right? Like there's still stuff, there's connective tissue there until Vin Diesel shows up in the last 30 seconds of this movie. This is a standalone movie altogether, just in name only tied in. And then to further basically muddy the entire timeline so much so that like when people retrofitted things, they retroactively moved the first three movies up three years i think so like it's all crazy and then you're right like the whole how does han's death mean something now oh jason statham killed him like that's now the vengeance of the seventh movie like it's all weird like this movie not only is polarizing but like way the fuck complicated things just because sung kang's portrayal of han is so cool i think there is perhaps even some merit to what nico was suggesting about his theories about Han because frankly this wouldn't be the first time that someone we knew and love walked away from an explosive car crash because they were working with the feds and it's really the only explanation that I can find for a lot of the things that I hated about his behavior in this movie it wasn't until Nico pointed out that he is retroactively dealing with Giselle's death which explains his coldness his aloofness Mm -hmm. so that part those parts I was more comfortable with but like the way that he was acting inferior to Justin Timberlake. Yeah, I didn't want to say DK. I was trying to think of his name, but yeah. The way he was acting like inferior to him and why he needed to do this business after he was just tapped by the fucking DSS to help take down an international terrorist. He's acting like he's inferior to the Yakuza. Like they're he's part of the Car Avengers. (laughs) I don't think that he would be doing any of these things unless it was a situation where he was working with someone to try and take these characters down. And you can actually retroactively save this movie by 50% for me if it is explicitly this was part of a bigger picture that Han was in on. Because half of my frustration with this film is Han is absolutely the best character in the movie, and he really is genie from Aladdin. I'm just shocked that Sean wasn't like, get back in your lamp. I gotta <laughs> find my monkey. <laughs> And I don't think it could have been part of the plan from 2006, but it would have to have been part of the plan from 2013, for me at least personally. The retrofitting is kind of clunky, but at the same time, it's kind of amazing how well it works for something that should not work at all. The fact that it works at all is like, oh. But it visually is a different scene. Like, literally, he pushes the car. The car keeps going. It's a physically different scene. The man does not get out of the car and then walk around before the explosion. You're not supposed to, like, you're not supposed to do this the way we're doing this, where you're watching one than the other. Like, this is seven years in between, so just, it's reminiscent of. But I agree. I concede to your point. And I get that, but... 
Unless these movies are never meant to be rewatched, they should have thought of that. Yeah. What I want to say, and I don't want to spoil how it happens, but it does seem, and maybe to saving this movie by 50%, the upcoming movie, Joe and I do not have answers yet, but it seems like this movie in particular is going to play a large role in the future of the franchise, which seems crazy given Because they wrote it off for like other than so Han, many yeah, years. This means nothing to anything. In the future, future you might like this movie more, but we don't know yet. I don't know that we could ever like this movie more. We can appreciate its role in the franchise and the things that they were able to pull from it to make good things. But I feel Nico would agree that it's, there's a lot of inherent flaws to this film itself that can't really be totally fair worked around. Yeah. You can't just like glaze over that. I get it. So now I'm going to ask one more time. Is there a clutch Letty moment? Well, for me, the Letty character is Han. Yeah. Because Han represents an emotional core outside of the main character's ability to interact with his surroundings. Dom is closed off and aloof. It takes Letty, who herself can be closed off and aloof, to remind him that he's not better than the people he protects sometimes, right? That he needs to stop acting like he has to always be right. He has to always be in charge. Brian actually needs Roman because Roman is kind of a clown, right? Roman is never trying to be so serious, and it's Roman's humanity that reminds Brian how not to be all ACAB. For this film, Sean has no responsibility or moral respectability toward anyone else. As a matter of fact, he makes it kind of clear that the women he's after, he's after explicitly because of an attraction to them. He doesn't get to know them in any meaningful way until later on. And I know it's a short movie, but he has a meaningful interaction with Twinkie right away. It's not like that couldn't happen in a way that wasn't explicitly written through sexual tension. So I guess my clutch Letty moment being most of Han... When he's our Han, you know, later in the film Han, but like, I guess the clutch Letty moment was Han saying, I'm happy to sacrifice a car to know the heart of a person. Letty doesn't give a shit who you are, where you're from, or what you did, as long as you love cars. See, I also wound up saying Han was our clutch Letty. I didn't have a moment, but I had, I think he's Letty for the reason that he is mysterious. We want to know more. And he's taken away from us too soon. I think archetypally, like, I think narratively, like I was saying archetypally, I think Neela is mostly Letty, but then becomes not Letty. I think that the purpose that Han serves in the story here is kind of the same purpose that Letty serves over the first four or five-ish movies. I actually think that I have two answers for this. Love it. I have a clutch Letty character and a clutch Letty moment. Okay. I, Hit us with it. Despite being a villain, I think the character that when I relaxed my brain and thought who most reminds me of Letty, the answer that I came up with was the uncle who dresses like Lou Bega. <laughs> Uncle Kamada, with his very emotionless yet honorable dynamic, I think he gave me the most Letty energy of the characters in these movies. So why do you think the uncle, why do you think Uncle Lou Bega is... Yeah, just his demeanor, his attitude. I think uh, he's a very severe yet honorable character in terms of the way that he handles all of his business and it very much reminds me of letty and the way that he's like yeah we could do a race that'll solve everything sure like it does feel like she's like this you is dumb like my, let's go can, along with it you can kill my nephew and that is that's how we'll end this he's a dickwad anyway 
what is your clutch letty moment then dom showing up at the end Ooh. uh you know i'll be real i am preemptively infuriated by the scene what do you mean dom's just palling around asia i know there's something going on in the next movie that he shouldn't just be palling around asia beating everyone and saying things like i got nothing but time i really doubt that dominic <laughs> overall that was probably the clutch lettyist moment of the film i think now, in that scene, I love that answer. That's a very good answer. In that scene, did you recognize the celebrity cameo? Oh, yeah. It's, a trick, it's kind of a trick question. It's actually very it's much a It's a very trick question. trick question, but we want to tell you a fun fact. Is it like the fact that Diddy Kong is secretly in one of the windows in Mario Kart Double Dash? Kind of. Let's say kind, kind of. of. Yeah, actually. Kind of. That's pretty cool. Tell me about it. We, fa- we found out this year that the faceless woman getting out of the car at the end in the pink bra and low-cut black dress is Chrissy Teigen. Shut <gasps> the fuck! I'm like no. I'm looking at my share Barbies and that is the and the, I feel a kind of gay happiness at that. His share Barbies next to his Mariah Carey Pop Funko. We love Chrissy Teigen. She that tweeted yeah. earlier Chrissy this Titter year lady. something along the lines of, "Hey, I was in Tokyo Drift. I don't know if I, I don't remember if she's seen the movie or not, but she's like, I'm in a pink bra in a parking garage." And almost instantly, this guy sent us like her, and she was like, "How did you find this so fast?" And if you Google Tokyo Drift boobs getting out of car, it's like one of the top three responses. <laughs> And that's what do you mean? It's one of the top three responses. I don't know what are the other two. Number one. Well, now we need to have a poll of what everyone's top boobs getting out of a car moment from (laughs) Fast and Furious is. Oh my God! You guys realize that that probably means that Dom got the green light from John Legend. Oh, (laughs) love that. So no, maybe he's driving an Andre BMW 3000. Uh, All right. Thank you. But yeah, no, we, we found out that earlier this year, and it's kind of amazing. She like just sat on a parking garage floor all day, and then, you know, because she's Chrissy Teigen and looks the way she does, which is her personality is the only thing that supersedes her, her physical beauty. Yeah, she just got out of the car, and they just showed her like deep, deep cleavage without a face. So yeah, yeah she's in no that face. scene, so yeah. you're welcome. I only would have loved it more if her mom was in it with her, too. I love her mom. <laughs> I love her mom. I love her husband. Like, Chrissy Teigen is one of those people who's act like, but I think Chrissy Teigen is here to save the world. Da, 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 da. right like I, she might be the avatar she can bend fashion and comedy and lip syncing and commercials if hulu is to be believed chrissy teigen really is a chrissy of all trades i was really excited when we figured out that it was like when she told at the world that it was her because you can't see her face i don't think she's credited and she was just like yeah that was me and everybody was like oh this is awesome it's like when they revealed deep throat or it's like when Jason Sudeikis said he tried really hard to never have it revealed that he's the one that punched Baby Yoda in the face. He tried real hard when he found out what his role, like, he was like, oh my god, I get to be in an episode! What do you mean, I'm punching that puppet? <laughs> <laughs> Kevo, I have a question for you. We talked about, I think on the last episode, about the kind of the balletic movements of cars and how you were finally realizing, finally, I think, said yep. that like, they finally felt, it felt different to you in the last movie what did you think of the actual yep. car movements the car cinematography 
in this movie. As soon as you said balletic, I immediately flashed to the scene of the line of cars drifting down the mountain. Yeah, yep. beautiful. It was beautiful. The scene itself came across as kind of hokey to me, but like oh, I was sitting there entranced watching it. Like it's some goddamn amazing directing. I wasn't shocked to learn that this was Justin Lin's first of the franchise the way I was shocked to learn it was Chris Morgan's and the jump that he went through from three to four whereas yeah no I I I really see the beginnings of what Justin Lin is going to be bringing to the franchise starting with this movie there was nothing visually wrong with this movie that's for sure yeah and if I can actually hop on what Kevo just said about the the drifting scene one of the things that I thought made it really genuinely beautiful honestly was we didn't have enough women driving in this film. And I know I've said that since the beginning. Yep. And I know that that is like a really big thing for me. But when you give me Letty, who is, in my opinion, the best stunt driver of the crew, and you show me that this franchise respects that a woman has chops, I want to see a woman have chops all the time, right? And not just her pork chops while she's making out with another woman in the corner. (laughs) So Kevo saying it was kind of like, it was kind of hokey. I did think it was a little bit almost, it, it made a moment really transparent. The thing that shocks me the most about this film is it didn't stay in Arizona and it didn't become a hybrid sports car movie. It was Neela driving in that scene, right? Yeah, she's one of them. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's that that scene definitely. I I don't think I realized that because the steering wheels keep switching sides, especially in the ones with many foreign cars. So yes. I get very confused as to who's driving. Being reminded that it was Neela driving in that scene, especially, yeah, I I, I think it was amazing. I mean, as this movie pointed out from the instant message from Bama Boy, why don't I ever see you drift? Because you never asked. We just didn't ask Neela to drift. That's the reason that these women aren't driving. We're not asking them to drive, obviously. Now, I am going to be real. By the end of the movie, I'd fallen in love with Neela. I maybe needed a little bit more active involvement in the reclamation of self-power that Sean got to go through at the end of the film. One of the things that like, just flat out turns me on the most about Dom in a lot of ways is he's not afraid to ask for help. He knows when it's got to be him. But when he needs his fam, he needs his fam. And that's it. I wanted that level of recognition for what the others bring to the table. You know, I don't think I hate this movie, but I think I have to hate the things wrong with it. Sure. Like, it reminded me of Black Sash on the WB. Yes. Which was this, like, 90s... Uh, kind of like karate like show. Mm-hmm. And it was about white people being better at martial arts than Asian people. In many ways, it was kind of like the proto Cobra Kai. And I had Cora Sevier. Oh, so jacked. Yeah, I know. Really, if this had been an eight episode TV show and I had room to love these characters more. Every time you said it was a CW pilot, I immediately thought of Black Sash. And if they just took out some of the pregnant pauses from this film, it would have come across like the first five episodes of a WBCW teen drama. How much of that influence do you think is because of the high school setting? Well, I think part of the thing about the high school setting here was that they tried to play something in a tropey, cute way. It's no mystery to anybody who listens to Exes for Podcast that we, you know, we like anime in this house. Jonah stands at the hardest, but... I have seen a good thousand episodes of a handful of animes. You know, Oof. that's how it goes. Well, because like Sailor Moon is 200 episodes. Cardcaptor Sakura is 100 episodes. Oh, the pretty guardian Sailor Moon! Yeah, no, this is the best break in that I'm going to have for that. The character that I mentioned earlier, Reiko, her first acting job, the same way we were talking about Neela earlier, was as one of the live action sailors, Sailor Mars, on the Sailor Moon oh. live action show, Pretty okay. Guardian Sailor Moon. And okay. I really wanted to say that. So thanks, Nico. 
<laughs> oh, absolutely. And I, I fucking, I don't, okay, so anybody who doesn't know that's what the plot of Sailor Moon is, she's a warrior queen, and it's actually about rebirthing cycles, so the live-action one is part of the canon, just so people know. It's important to keep in mind that, you know, anime is this cyclical thing, and it kind of goes on forever. There were things about the scenes at the school that were kind of tongue-in-cheek, ha-ha-ha, isn't this a cute anime nod? This didn't feel like a movie made by people from Tokyo about Tokyo, and maybe that's where some of the disingenuousness came from. There was a lot of love notes to Tokyo in this film, though. I not only strongly agree with what you're saying, but I think an element as well as to why they went with high school students was to take some of the danger out of the film, which was already pretty high stakes danger when you're talking about a character who is a stranger in a foreign land and doesn't understand the cultures. But by putting a high school student up against the Yakuza it's not as perhaps dangerous seeming as if they were all adults. We don't necessarily think that this high school kid is going to get murdered. Yeah. It's going to do me a special job and you're going to have to help me take out the Yakuza. And this is going to be what we do because we're a family. It's what we do because we're a family. It's important. I gave up being a cop for this. (laughs) You're welcome. Oh, (laughs) my God. Where are the superpowers? Oh, my God. So, okay. No, no one in this movie gets power. No, no. Actually, I have to disagree. I have given Sean the drift effect, even though he doesn't drift that much in this movie. But the moment in the movie that was so pivotal was he should have died when that car came crashing down on him. When DKDK barrel rolled him, he should have died. <laughs> but instead, this force came over and the car moved in a way that no set of Kerplunk ever indicated to me that kinetic motion could continue. <laughs> right? And... He had this magical drifting ability, but I don't think he has it alone. That's where the family is in this movie. They can only access the drift effect when they're believing in each other. So his powers are still semi-latent because he is not as family-oriented. He's in high school, No, it's because it, he's, he's never had a home, so he's oh. been disconnected from the Force. If Power Rangers has taught me anything, you can still have superpowers when you're in high school, okay? <laughs> and, you know, here's the thing. Brian might not have been part of, you know, the Fast Fam right away, but Brian was part of a brotherhood. Whether or not you think ACAB or your Blue Lives Matter, you have to recognize that being a part of that shielded community means you believe you are part of a brotherhood. So Brian was always about family. Everybody in these films are about family. He didn't discover family. He just switched to a new family. A better family. And it's that this is... ABC family. Freeform. So it's just... (laughs) In this movie, Sean learns the drift effect because he finally has people that are going to help him slide. Yeah. Okay, fine. I have a question for all of you, and I think I know the answer, but I also don't. The more I think about it, the less of an answer that I have. But when Twinkie brings Sean to the garage for the first time, and he pulls in and he sees all these cars, he sees all these women, and Twinkie tosses him a box of tissues, and he says, for when you blow your wad. And he laughs. Ah! Is he saying that Sean is going to blow his wad from the girls or from the cars? Both. I think it's about the immersion into the sense. The so one of the things I keep saying is that the cars are dicks, and they're riding into this immersive magical wonderland, right? So while the other guys in these movies are all about yo check me out, one of the things is we're seeing Sean in his pupil stage, and I mean that both as larval pupa. And as a pupil, he's still a student, right? Literally, He's yeah. being 
brought to this world for the first time. I'm like, I'm not trying to be gross, but whether it was your first time smoking weed or your first time taking a drink or your first real fucking cool kid party, we've all had that moment where you got to tell yourself, cool guys don't look back at explosions. Cool guys don't look back at explosions. <laughs> oh, yeah. I have done this before. Fun. He was literally saying, don't come too fast, buddy. Hang in. So this is my life, and, and now you're part of it. And just new life in general, the culture. Like, this is the... You're entering the coolest place you've ever been. Act like you've been here before. Yeah, it's act like you've been... That's the perfect description. He's literally getting to drive into his wet dream. I love to act like you've been here before. That's that's exactly what he's... He's he's a cool guy saying, I'm so cool that I have to use a cool guy expression to say it, but act like you've been here before. Like, that just reminds me of, like, LaDainian Tomlinson, who was, like, one of my favorite players to ever watch in the NFL, and every time he scored a touchdown, he would just hand the ball to the ref, because... I, I love so like I love nothing more almost than the year that Terrell Owens scored like 15 touchdowns and had a different celebration after each one. But there's something so cool about LT just being like, oh no, I've I've scored hundreds of touchdowns. I don't yeah. need to celebrate. Like I'm just you know it's just another six for me. So it's like yeah, that's cool. Been there, you act like you've been there before. Yep. This is not old. This is old hat. Like this is just you know. And then what does he do immediately? Confronts like the <laughs> the biggest guy there and like hits on his girl. <laughs> like dude, did you not understand what I was saying? Exactly. Other thoughts, question mark? You know, I think I was pretty aggressive about this movie at first, and then I hawned down a little bit. Uh-huh. I'm going to, I'm going to, my final thoughts on this movie. Well, let's talk really... about the music. I want to hear your thoughts about the music. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The music fucking banged. The music fucking banged and it... fucked and kicked. The music was, Ugh. and like, BT is my, BT is my boy. BT is my man. And he's like tweeted back at me a few times and Ooh. he's talking about blowing your wad a little bit early, right? But like, so my hero has tweeted back at me and like, I literally think he might be the greatest composer of our time. And I put him up there with Sting and like Sondheim. I just think, I guess it's a lot of S's. I just think he's really talented, right? Brian Tyler did an infinitely better score for Tokyo Drift than I necessarily feel BT did for the Oscar nominated and record breaking and, and super successful Fast and Furious score. This had subtlety, this had nuance. There was a thoughtfulness to this score that indicated the internals of these characters in the scenes they were in. The soundtrack to this movie literally just sounds like my iPod in 2006. Yep. I literally sat there singing along with every song, and I just kept being like, yo, this soundtrack fucks. But other thoughts. You were gonna, you were about to say something before I derailed you about music, but other thoughts about this movie, Nico and Kevo, and also Joe. Not that I'm complaining about seeing Lucas Black in a towel, but it probably would have been easier to buy that 24-year-old as a high school student if we hadn't. <laughs> I was going to ask you guys, I was going to ask you guys, what did you think about Lucas Black ostensibly 17 in this movie no no he's not no he comes back for one scene in furious 7 that's supposed to take place like a month later but it is instead or minutes or minutes after nine this. years later and he looks like 40 again not 30 everybody ages different he doesn't look bad but he looks older 40. than the nine years would have said like it's just it's it's wild like get ready i am very interested to fuck. see yeah Another thing that I really enjoyed was the uh, on the plane sitting in front of Sean were an Asian couple toasting with a white dude, and they were all so enthusiastic and engaged <laughs> that I find myself wondering what their story is. <laughs> I just, I love when extras are so extra. Yeah. It's always entertaining. And the it. final thing I would want to comment on that we uh didn't really talk about much is the absolutely hilarious and bizarre character of marimoto 
I loved his temper tantrum when he lost his race, and I can't believe that Sean absolutely motherfucking killed him with a car, because there's no (laughs) way that that guy walked away from that, and we're all just fine with it, I guess. Oh, yeah, no, people, like, these movies (laughs) progressively kill more and more people, but there are early, like, in the second one, if you'll remember, when they're racing to get that cigar, a truck just drives over a car that somebody we kind of know is driving, and we never pay that guy second mind. But he is not only dead, he is obliterated. Like, this, yeah. movie, this movie franchise, like, gets to the point where, like, it's like the MCU or DC, where it's like, oh, there's just collateral damage. But, like, in these early movies, it's like, no, like, three or four people die, but, like, they die in grisly ways, and we are not talking about it. It's why they really needed to jump the track from trying to be taken semi-legitimately to straight-up cartoon violence, because with the stakes that they were raising higher and higher, there was nothing else they could do. Otherwise, it's just these people, good and bad, are just killing everyone indiscriminately, and it's really hard to watch. But if you just sort of unplug and think of it as, like, cartoon violence, it's a lot easier to digest. Yeah. Yeah. Nico, any final thoughts about Tokyo Drift? No, but I'm getting really stuck on some weird Twitter threads. Evidently, justice for Han connects to a person who actually really needs justice. Oh no! Oh god! No! <laughs> and there, and so I'm, I'm like, I'm not ignoring you guys, but I'm like, oh shit, there's real people. We were just hoping that, that Han was okay, not not that not that somebody actually needed help. Okay, I just looked it up. We're going to stop saying justice for Han. Justice for Lei Dai Han is a group seeking justice for the sexual violence victims of the Vietnam War. It's like, guys, search the hashtag and find the new hashtag. Like, justice for Han, like, that's more important than our justice for Han. But, like, our justice for Han was already a thing. People are tweeting at Romney about it! Well, you know, Romney's got other issues. but they're tweeting at Romney about which one? (laughs) well but here's the thing this is now a franchise it just is i don't think they're stopping anytime soon so fast furious 14 can be about lai dai han and getting justice for vietnam war sexual abuse victims why not We'll, we'll we'll do a movie about that after space. We could. Yeah, well, maybe before space. Maybe Big before space. space. <laughs> Joe, any final thoughts about Tokyo Drift? No, the only thing that I thought that was, because we were watching this, and I know that they hadn't seen the end of six, like the post credit scene of six. I was watching, and something that they commented on, that they're two different scenes. A woman runs up to the Mercedes and, like, looks in the door, but there's no one in that car. And it's not because they were planning this. It's only because, like, they didn't have an extra sitting in the car. So she, like, opens the door and, like, looks in and there's no one in the car. And I was like, oh, that actually kind of fits. Which, what is the Mercedes? Because I don't know things like that. Jason Statham's car that he kills Han with. Yeah, let's talk about the... So I know you didn't like the retcon, but, like, are you excited? Because I know that you've been waiting for Statham to show up. Now that you know how he appears... What do you think? And also, going to spoil like the re- not the reveal later in this episode, but we are not doing Furious Seven next. We're taking a little bit of a pit stop, which we'll get to. So there's a little bit more of a wait. But are you guys excited now that now you understand the Justice for Han? Kind of, not quite fully yet. But what are your thoughts on heading into Furious Seven? I think it's a very car franchise thing to do to only want justice for the male characters and none of the female characters who are treated as condoms. Well, there, so okay, so there is there's a there's more of a reason. It's not just that Han died, and I don't want to spoil 
what it is, but there's a specific reason why people are angry about Han in particular. Yeah. But are you excited for Seven, or are you just kind of like, it's all the same now? It's just like, another movie that I'm probably going to hopefully like. No, I'm actually really, like, I love them the further they go. Like, the, cool. the further they've gone, I've loved them more, so that's part of why this really bummed me out. And yeah, no, I'm excited for Seven. The question had been, was I excited for Statham and what that's setting up? No, not really. But, you know, I'm excited to keep going on the franchise and see how the next movie turned out, knowing everything that happened during production. Yeah. All right, you guys ready for some games? I've already sent you all my tweets. Nico, you sent four tweets. I'll figure this out later, but let me first review last episode's picks. And I think we found... I think we found that what I was not afraid of, but like angrily predicting was going to get some bullshit points, got some bullshit points. But we're going to see how that goes. So first up, I found Dan B. Maximov at the Red Prince 2 said Universal Orlando should replace Fast and Furious Supercharged with Resident Evil The Ride. They both have Michelle Rodriguez. Boy, do we have a podcast for you. Of course not. I'm bad at this game. Nothing. But now I'm curious who's the Red Prince and the Red Prince one. <laughs> yeah, you would you would think. And this has underscores in it too, so like it's a real complicated I don't know, man. <laughs> Matt Matt Thomas at Matt Thomas says key television series for understanding the Fast and Furious franchise, the Golden Girls. Boy do we have a podcast, podcast for, for you. you. And he responded with a prayer hand emoji and also liked it. So Joe, six? you get six points. That's six. I'll count, I'll count them. I'll take them. Joe, you're up to 31 points. Congratulations. Damn. Am I in first? Yeah. Yeah, you still, you've always been in first. You've never not been in first. Don't tempt Nico like that. Stop. Nico found <laughs> LR nod to the seventh at Ghost Coles. Hey, Eugene Lee Yang, why didn't you include Giselle in your Disney princess ranking? Hashtag justice for Giselle. Boy, do we have a podcast for you, even though it's not the same Giselle, and even though Giselle is spelled wrong, and MLR responded and said, ah, yes, The Fast and the Furious, my favorite movie, starring Giselle the Disney Princess. So you get five points. And then Nico, somebody named Nico Action on Twitter, responded with Justice for Giselle singing a happy driving song, which MLR and we liked. So Nico, you get five points. Again, amazing. Killing it. Perfect. Well, yeah, if we, I can. When I saw that, I lost my mind. If I can for just one moment. I can't take all the credits. It was years and years of people buying into my lunacy long enough for me to make it viral. And now it's contagious. And I'm just proud of how far I've come in a game that I have no real stake in. You're going to do good until you're not on the next lap and I continue to beat you. But Nico is I'm gonna now I'm going to keep getting points even place. not on the Nico show. Yes! In, in scoring. But I'll never pass you in love. <laughs> Then Kevo found at Cars Picks, and Kevo hit a a legendary sticking point in this game. I don't know if Cars Picks blocked us. I don't think that's the case, because I went into a private browser. The tweet might have been deleted, so I don't know what the tweet was. So you tweeted them, they got to delete it? That's even better. I don't know. It might have been like, oh... 5,000 points! (laughs) Trust me, we've been blocked by many of my tweets. Multiple episodes in a row, not only did Joe not get a response, but he tweeted at someone who in the two weeks in between was suspended from twitter oh yeah that was it no 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 I, yeah they they got suspended yeah. and i'm like how do i didn't but cause that's not that. the same we've been blocked i think like once like not too often there's been a couple deleted You're tweets right it was but the weirdest thing was a couple times in a row joe d- tweeted at someone who like 
straight up like violated some rule or like their profile just no longer existed. And it wasn't like a block because I looked at other accounts, but like, yeah, no, it just went away. Yeah, suspended account is more points than deleted tweets. <laughs> sorry, fair. sorry, no, I wasn't trying to pee in your Wheaties or anything. Okay, but... so, Mika, No, you you're just the winner. Four. Let me explain them. The top two, number one is for Kevo, number two is for me, and then the next two were, it was just really nice to see how eager the fandom is to get more Giselle and more Han. I had found in my search for things I wanted to interact with that it's actually hard to find justice for Han tweets, not just because of the horrors committed against the Vietnamese people (laughs) during the occupation by American soldiers, but because... It seems like whereas a lot of the things we've discussed that I've latched onto with this franchise are people kind of making one-off comments here and there and getting like six responses on them. It seems like my big thing, Justice for Han and Justice for Giselle, both correlate to kind of like a bigger picture. The posts I was able to find that sort of talk about why the two of them deserve a future in the franchise together explicitly are from a very popular, fantastic for Jesus Christ. Okay, good night. I called it Fantastic Car Beasts yesterday, so <laughs> I guess that was a little better. Fantastic Car Beasts and where to find them? Oh, God, where to find them? At Nico Action on Twitter and Instagram. N-I-C-O... No, um, it was only a Fast Family Twitter that has like 140,000 followers yep. or something. And Screen Rant, which of course has, you know, corporate level sponsored follower counts. And so those two having such... A large presence alerted me to why Han is so endearing. I think there's something about Han and Giselle. They sort of buck the tradition of the franchises. I kind of do think Tokyo Drift is a different film. I feel maybe perhaps like it was written as a different film and had Fast and Furious like superimposed, right? It's just interesting to see that the cultural appreciation of Han and Giselle is as considerable as the cultural appreciation for, say... Brian. Yeah, there's something about, and I think it's because we don't have a ton of Han and Giselle, but and because their love seems pure in a way, and not like movie-ish. Like it feels more real and genuine, and people really respond to them. Plus the fact that they're both essentially taken from us after the sixth movie. And so stupid hot. Also, that. yes, yeah, that too. Yeah. So that first tweet, I'm gonna give that one to Kevo. I like the humor of the second tweet. Reverse it. I think I'm more likely to get a response on the first tweet. The first tweet's for me. I'm coming for you, Joe 2. This is Nico. Nico found hex-i star emoji, lightning emoji, common emoji at Lexi Skywalker. The rise of Lexi Skywalker. The last Lexi Skywalker. One day I will watch all of the Lord of the Rings movies. One day turns on Tokyo Drift. Boy, do we <laughs> yes. have a podcast. Uh, yeah. Yeah, this is this woman literally hits all of my pan buttons, right? like, just yeah. down the like, down the column, man. And then Kevo found man-made monsters at man-made monsters when you failed a mission one too many times because your quote-unquote good controller is charging and you're forced to use the backup that drifts so well it should be in the Tokyo Drift, in the movie Tokyo Ooh. Drift. Frowny face, angrier frowny face, cursing frowny face. Boy, do we have Have a podcast podcast for you with a picture of a PS4 controller absolutely demolished, taken apart, trying to get repaired. And I've been watching Jonah try to master uh, Mario All-Stars. He's on the fucking pachinko level of 
Sunshine and it's killing him and the fucking thing isn't mapped to use the GameCube controller, which was the system it came out on, which he would boss it in two seconds. It's just like, I really related to that post today. There's been a very interesting thing on the internet. I've never played the game, but there's been an interesting thing on the internet the last week or two of like, is Sunshine good? People are like, no, it's not. And people are like, oh, actually it is. So like, that has been such a divisive because everybody loves 64, everybody loves Galaxy, but that Sunshine one people are not on the same page about. It's actually Jonah's favorite, and it's my least favorite of the main platformer series. For real, it's actually just like Tokyo Drift. The things about it that are key to the Mario franchise are things that the franchise simply couldn't exist without. There's an Italian plumber, or a Bowser, or a Goomba. There's a something, there's cars, that reminds us that this is the universe we're choosing to play in, but the secondary levels of it, that they're fighting pollution, and he has to use specific nozzles. The rest of it just feels like trappings that don't belong on this Setup. Nico, I think you're, you're you're mispronouncing it when you're talking about the Italian plumber. It's a Guma, not a Goomba. Guma. Well, I'm Cuban, Greek, and Irish. I cannot say that word. <laughs> hey, T, keep your Guma out of it. I found Eddie Malden at Eddie Malden. Tweet just says, Spelunky 2, Fast, Too Furious. Boy, do we have a podcast for you. That's for you, man. That's dead on Spelunky. for you. Jesus. Joe, what is your tweet? It's from Mads Star at Mads Maddie underscore Ruth said yesterday that she was going to play Tokyo Drift by Teriyaki Boys at my funeral, and I'm here for it. Boy, do we, Boy, do we have, a, have podcast a podcast for you. I was going with the teen girl vibe. I mean, like, they seem to respond to everything. She seems like a teen girl, so I was hoping that she, like, either... She's either going to block us or respond, so... Her. Dude, I so hope you're about to get catfished by a nasty old man. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, as long as he responds, Joe gets points. It doesn't matter whether it's actually Maddie or an old it's dude, just, right? So. It's just it's just a it's just a 65-year-old man LARPing as a as a 16-year-old girl that has a friend named Ruth. Oh my god, that's the whole LARP! That's the whole LARP! The whole thing. It's just about Ruth! It's just about Ruth, man. Yep. Alright, the final game to play is Dude, what's my car? Dude, what's my car? What? Your car, dude. So now I'm assuming, Nico and Kevo, you're going to play along with Joe because you love Nico, you love taking shots in the dark at what these cars are. And Kevin, you're just here for emotional support. But I mean, I'm going to assume you both want to play with Joe. Is that still correct? Oh, I've wanted to play with Joe since I heard his frat boy voice. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. All right. This picture, it's three pictures. This car comes from Hector. And I'm not going to say the subject line of the email because it is a spoiler. It says, hey, Joey's got a car pick for y'all. This is from May 17th. It's been a while. Been a while. Here's a car that rivals another manufacturer of cars from the same era and was often confused as one. Just want to tell you all as well that it's now one of the most expensive cars to buy because it was so good. See you all later and stay fast, stay furious. It is Japanese and it is red. I mean, if it's... It's a Honda Veloster. I think, oh, I think I know what it is. What is it? I think I can Babe Ruth this. Is it an Acura NSX and he said it looks like a Ferrari and people thought it was a Ferrari? You have the model right, but not the mate. A Honda NSX? Honda NSX. Acura and Honda is the same thing, but yes. Is it? It's a Hyundai Veloster. Yeah. Yeah, there's the car. There's the yeah. car. So since you got that in one, I'll send it, I'll do another one from Hector really quick. Okay, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Because he sent two batched. 
says, here's another one. What did, what did he say the car looked like? A Ferrari? Or did he say the, the people thought it that the Acura was It rivals Ferraris and was confused as one. Yes. yes, that's what I thought. Okay, cool. The hint was good enough. He says, this is the second one of these from Japan. This car is one of the cheaper alternatives to the first one, but still a fun car to drive. I will just say, because it's, it's, it's themed to the last one. So this is another car that was confused for a Ferrari. It's another Japanese car that is red. Do you know another car that is confused for a Ferrari. It's red and it's confused with Ferrari. Is it Guy Fieri's ass? Yeah. How did you? Yes. You're so good at this game. It's unbelievable. And it's I, fun to drive. Where... It's fun to drive too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm. I'm. I don't. I'm, I'm kind of more of a Tyler Florence man. If I'm a picking sexy chef man, Tyler Florence is so stoned all the time, and he's <laughs> always. He just loves that food you put in his mouth so much. He goes, "Oh my god!" and he bangs the table. It's so hot. All right. Second Japanese car. It's from 1991. It's a second, quote-unquote, Ferrari from Japan. It's a cheaper alternative to the first one, but still a fun car to drive. Is it some kind of Skyline? No, different company. No, I don't know. I'm just going to send it because, I mean, I could get I could get you to guess, but I just I want to see... Good. I don't want to take... But it's a Toyota MR2. Oh, the MR2? Was it confused for a Ferrari? Really? It looks, it, it looks like a Ferrari. I, I know I see this one, but I don't think a Toyota MR2 was ever confused for a Ferrari. It would never be confused with a Buick Skyline. That's no. Mr. 2. This is like a nice little Miata. I, my friend had an MR2 in, in high school, and it was actually really cool. And I like these cars a lot, but like, confused for a Ferrari, Hector. You're stretching there, brother. I mean, you know, you're not going to get that one past Mona Lisa Vito in the court of law, which I thought my impression was not a not a bad one. We'll see how it's The NSX, yes. The NSX, yes. I get it. But the, the MR2, uh... Well, these were themed. They were both Ferrari cars that weren't Ferraris, but... Yeah, yeah. makes sense. I get it. Those were good ones, though. I mean, Ferrari. Fo- F-A-U-X. Yeah. As opposed to the Go-Rari, G-E-A-U-X, which is a uh, New Orleans Southern Creole car, maybe. I enjoy that car because it runs exclusively on gumbo and jambalaya leftovers. <laughs> sounds and tasty. beignets from Café du Monde. But it sounds, smells good, too. Nico, Kevo, thank you both for joining us for Tokyo Drift. This, this has been another blast. blast. Thank you so much. Always. I'm crumping at you. I'm glad we finally made it, and I'm excited to see what comes next now that we are back on a linear timeline. Well, we are Fast on a linear timeline. Fast Seven Deadly Sins. But we are changing it up because the next movie is not Furious 7. Well, the next movie is Furious 7, but we before then, because of real-life events, we are going to cover next Fast and Furious Spy Racers Season 1. Which, Which I think Netflix you guys series. might really like, actually. Nico specifically explicitly requested to cover this, so I'm looking forward to Do that. Do you think they'll like it, Joey, or no? Well, it's got one of my, my beloved husbands. It's got a guy who actually means like a lot to me in the voice cast, so Ooh. I'm in for Tyler Posey. Yeah, the guy who plays Tony Toretto is a big, Nico's a big fan of. Oh, I'm then you're definitely going to like it. Well, and he's just such a great guy, and he's so good to his fans, and he's charming, and he's funny, and he just seems like, like I just want to, like, smoke out and, like, lay back with him and just, like, talk about why the ceiling isn't stars. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So we will yeah. talk more about the schedule on the next episode. But Nico and Kevin, in two weeks, are going to be talking about Spy Racer Season 1 with us. And then a week later, bonus episode, they're going to come back for Spy Racer Season 2. Not bonus episode, but bonus Nico and Kevin episode. Yes. Regularly scheduled Tuesday. And then the week after that, Furious 7. So no Nico and Kevin next week, but then three in a row, baby. Netflix, like Netflix, Furious 7. So, sorry they have to wait a little bit more to get to the main franchise now that we're linear in order, but yeah. it's it's interesting. We're, get, we're getting some interesting good stuff coming up, and I hope you guys like it. We have not seen 
season two yet. It's not out yet here, but but uh, I think you'll like season one. I have a I good, so. I have a strong feeling that you'll find it very enjoyable. In for a pound. Please plug whatever you want to plug, whatever podcasts or other projects you want to talk about to our fans who are still hopefully listening. Well, you guys can check us out on Instagram and Twitter at well, me myself at Nico Action. That's N I C O A C T I O N. Also, we're doing some pretty cool things. X's for podcast is about to completely relaunch as this is X of Swords to celebrate the Ooh. upcoming major crossover we're bringing in six new correspondents and it's going to be like walking into your local comic shop in a round table type discussion we have people representing all kinds of x-men fans that the books now are doing their best to represent so this is going to be truly a meeting of the merriest mutant minds and i can't wait to get to that also now that the world has kind of settled into a place we're getting back to doing some fantastic four on html my joy at Joey's endless frustration with me is always worth listening to. I will preview for you and for our listeners that I think this next episode we're recording, which is the first Chris Evans, Jessica Alba movie, I think I liked more than Jess. So we'll find out. You liked more than Jessica Alba in the movie? No, no, no. Sorry. Jess Montez. Montez is our guest in those episodes. I was hoping that you were saying that like Jessica Alba looked like she hated this movie and I really enjoyed it. She might have. I don't know. I was too busy freaked out by her blue contact lenses or whatever. We got to talk about that. That's got to be okay. a thing, right? Oh, it is. Kevo, anything else you want to add to the plug list? Uh, you can find me at Kevo Really, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. And uh, yeah, that's about it. I felt differently about Fantastic Four, but we'll get to that on another time on another show. Check it out. Yes, me and Montez, who is basically has no presence on this show other than us talking about her, but a big yes. fan of Zack Attack. Uh, she and I are doing four Fantastic Four movies with Nico and Kevo. The original unreleased, largely unreleased one, both Chris Evans, Jessica Alba, other people that I don't remember, Ian someone, we'll talk about it, and Michael Chiklis, of course, and then the new Fan 4 stick. So we'll talk about all of that. But for all things okay, Too Fast I and I need forever. to be clear, his name is pronounced Yoen Groffith. Groffith. Yeah. As soon as I saw the name, I'm like, oh, he's Welsh, which means I don't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly, yeah. Like, I know what Welsh names look like when I re- I can recognize it, but I'm like, no, I'm not even going to try. There's a lot of Ds in there for no reason. For all things Too Fast, Too Forever, you go to cageclub.me, facebook.com, slash Too Fast, Too Forever, or at Too Fast, Too Forever on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, family at cageclub.me. Check out our Patreon page at TooFastTooForever.com. Come back on Friday for Michelle Rodriguez music videos. Ooh, ooh. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Joe too. And that was Nico Vasillo and Kevo Reese of Husbands Talking More or Less, and we'll tell you all about it when we see you again. 